0: This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com
1: Hey welcome in everybody from Mandarin, San Jose Boulevard, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food once again as we are on location. And we're going to be on the location pretty much all week because it's been a staple of the show. And tomorrow we actually will be our one-year anniversary of the show. We're going to have a party on Friday. So it's kind of a celebratory week, although we'll try not to nauseate you with the celebration. Uh, We'll have some fun instead and talk a lot of sports and do what we do. But uh, part of what we do and what we have done over the last year has been on the road. So uh, we're going to be on the road once again. We're at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, the newest location downtown last week. And now we're at uh, well the original location here in Mandarin and uh, San Jose Boulevard, come on out, say hello. Maybe we'll give away a few tickets to the party on Friday. If you haven't registered, you can already do that, ESPN690.com. at Brett Martino, Austin Lane, Stuart Weber back in the studio.
2: Uh, Austin Lane out here with me. What's up, man? Nothing too much. Just thankfully I got the text message this morning of where we're going to be on location. (laughs) So happy to be here, man. And this is a really cool spot. I haven't been to Jumpin' Jack's House of Food before, and... I'm pleasantly surprised with just how big this place actually is.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a massive place and a, a good spot to come. Just so come by say hello. We'll be here until 6 o'clock tonight. And, again, we're in the Mandarin location. We will give away some tickets if you come on in, uh, maybe buy a burger. And uh, say you want to go to the show on Friday, we do have uh, some sets of tickets to give away to Friday's show, which is at our studio. Um, in the action sports jacks studios we have a performance studio so we'll have a live studio audience on friday hello Stuart weber thanks for uh stopping in uh here today and also a couple times last week how was the weekend of skiing up in new york
3: it was good it was good nice uh weekend trip up north uh, took a day trip to vermont did a little skiing uh ran into a guy who used to live in jacksonville uh, because of course i did uh that's just the small world that we live in and then uh Sunday night I caught the Hawks and Nets game, and man, the Atlanta Hawks are terrible.
1: <laughs> uh, this just in, right? This uh, just they, in. <laughs> they are terrible. And I feel like we're having a roll call here, but we want to make sure everybody's present because, quite frankly, I was having a few issues uh, with our on-location equipment. So, uh, hello, Coos. How you doing, man?
3: I'm doing uh, just great. I was going to say, at least the Hawks have like a really exciting star, you know? <laughs> who didn't play this game? Didn't he didn't play, play yeah. right? <laughs> no, he was out. Uh, the The fans there were very excited to see Vince Carter, though, so uh, they remembered his his years with the Nets very fondly, and uh, they were cheering for him whenever he scored a bucket, which is he, he got louder cheers than any of the Nets fans did, and that includes Kyrie Irving, who was back for the first time in like two months.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say at least you got that, uh, but I mean, without. Uh uh what's his name? <laughs> Trey, Kevin Young. Vincent, Trey, Trey Young. Kevin Durant everybody. Trey Young. But everybody. I was not even Kevin Durant. Yeah, yeah Kevin I was Durant. Durant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was like the uh the the injured star or the not playing star game uh <laughs> of the NBA uh and it's not workload management. It's not Well, load well management. let's just
3: say if Durant was playing, the tickets might have been out of my price range, which my price range was very low for this event.
1: Yeah, how much did you pay for a ticket?
3: Uh 25 a pop. So That's not bad. 50 for a pair. Court you know, side or what? Yes, sir. I was I was literally <laughs> they they p- put me in the game in the third quarter. It
2: was
1: crazy. Might as well. Yeah. Uh yeah. Well, we might do the same in April. We might go to the Staples Center and watch the Lakers play. I yeah. don't think they'll be 25 bucks a pop. No,
2: those would be a pretty hot ticket, I think.
1: But it will depend on how much aR whether we go or not. For I sure. can tell you that. Well, I got mine I really on StubHub
3: job. like 5 minutes before the game for 25 bucks. So Yeah, that's
1: what we might have to do the same. Shout out to the
3: worst team in the NBA being in Brooklyn while I was there.
1: Hey, we were uh, actually in that arena for the Super Bowl, remember? Uh, they had the media day, right? Am I, am I thinking the right You're
3: day? thinking the wrong one. I want to say they had media day in the New Jersey Devils Arena.
1: Oh, okay. okay. Does that sound saying... right? No, you're right. You're yeah. right. That was in Jersey. Not okay. the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Yeah, I was thinking we are in Barclays. My, that was my bad. Yeah, no. uh, you're right about that. So, but I had never been
3: in that building. Oh uh, It was good. Yeah, it, it seemed nice. Uh, yeah, I can't complain about it. It was cool. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, it's good. Well, anyway, hey, just so everybody drew it up in the NFL playoffs, right? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. In the AFC Championship game, twenty-four to nothing, then fifty-one to thirty-one for Kansas City. Oh. Green Bay, not a surprise. We kind of thought that's the way that game would go. Twenty-eight, twenty-three, a good game. Both teams with a chance to win. Both great quarterbacks and uh, really putting on a show. And uh, then the other one um, in the NFC, San Francisco, looks like just that good of a team right now. That one did not surprise me, to be honest with you. That was the one I thought was going, I actually thought might be a blowout, mm-hmm. It's San Francisco. Just, because, I think I said it last week, Minnesota coming off the high of beating New Orleans, which is almost like beating one of the best teams in the NFL. I mean, if you still look on paper, I think you can argue the Saints had the best team on paper. Sure. Uh, but to see what happened again, this the NFL is so wacky. And here's my advice, okay? Don't bet on the NFL. All right? So I'm with my buddy over the weekend. We're up in Asheville. And my buddy is like, he loves to bet, loves to bet. Now I don't mind uh, gambling a little bit here, but like we're usually like in a pool or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, or if I go to Vegas, I probably put some money on something. Sure. But he loves to bet. So anyway, he's like, he's in love with Baltimore. As was and I. He was teasing it right. So yeah. it's ten points. He drops it down to four, and uh, he loves the over in San Francisco game, which yeah. was if he did, it was like thirty-eight points. Okay. Well, meanwhile, I'm like, listen, I think the better the day, the better the weekend is San Francisco. They were given seven. Sure. So I take them, if you get them down to one point, just it's like a pick em game, heck yeah, do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right? So what's happening? San Francisco goes up like 27 to 10 with like four minutes to go in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a slam dunk. We didn't even, we didn't, he didn't bet it, by the way. But, okay. I, but I'm like, why didn't you do something? Why didn't yeah. you put something on it? It ends 27 to 10. That's why you can't gamble. Like, the final 19 minutes of that game, nobody scored. Like, that never happens. Everybody scores a garbage touchdown at the end when sure. you're down by 17 points. Nobody scored. That game would not have gone over, the regular one, wouldn't even gone over if you teased it down. Do not bet on the NFL. You cannot win if you bet on the NFL. I'm just telling you, that's my PSA. I mean, don't gamble anyway, because it might get you in trouble. But definitely don't gamble on the NFL.
2: Well, speaking of gambling, too, I kind of gambled with my reputation a little bit last week on the show. Kuz, if we go back in the archives and delete every single show from last week where I called Tennessee the basically the little brothers to Baltimore Ravens, ah, that would be fantastic, because I did not see Tennessee coming into Baltimore and absolutely land the smack down like they did. It was I, insane.
1: I, it was, I did not either. I mean, who, yeah. I mean, come on. Nobody really did. I, I thought that game... I thought Tennessee would play better than people thought. Again, you know me. I've been on the Ravens. I'm like, is somebody going to figure that out? Mm -hmm. You know, when you have two tough teams, you you saw a lot of physical teams. That's what we're going to get into. But I'd be lying if I said I thought Tennessee was going to win. Uh, No way. But I also didn't think they were going to get blown out. Mm -hmm. The surprise game was the Houston game. Because that game, nobody saw it going the way it did. Nobody comes back when you're down 24 to nothing. Mm -hmm. And nobody expected them to jump out 24 to nothing. 20 minutes into that game. Kansas City had zero points. I mean, think about that. In the last 40 minutes of the game, they scored 51 points. That's why I have them as my Super Bowl team. Because they can do anything in any amount of time. Like, and by the way, this this goes along with my last PSA. If you are going to bet on the NFL, bet Kansas City. Because they're the most (laughs) fun bet in the world. Like, they... They can have zero points and then five minutes later they've got twenty-eight. Sure, that's what happened. Yeah. So I mean, they're the. If I'm going to bet on a team, I'd bet on that team. I think they are going to win the Super Bowl because they get enough stops and they might be unstoppable on offense. Brent, yeah, I was gonna,
3: I was gonna tell you, I did bet on the Chiefs this weekend and it was a wild ride.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you did like just like straight up just for them to win.
3: Uh, yeah, it was only like 20 bucks, but I, I, you know, I thought it was over, I'm driving to my uncle's, by the time I get to my uncle's I was like, oh wait, hold on, we might,
1: we we might be in on this. Yeah, that was a a crazy game, and by the way, uh, Kuz, this just in, and I love you man, but if you bet $20, that's not really considered gambling.
2: You're not really making much. Well Kuz, did you listen to me? (laughs) It's good
1: for a little flutter, why not? It was crazy. I figured I figured Stewart would check in on this. this like twenty right. bucks to Stewart is a lot of money. Hey, twenty Kuz, bucks? That's like four meals, man. Yeah, yeah, felt good. I get that four for four? Hey. That's like five meals.
2: Shoot. Yeah, that's that's five meals when you have buy one get one free <laughs> Like, you go. Yes, sir. Shopping. Cause I, I could have sworn we had the conversation of weren't you thinking about picking Minnesota beating San Francisco? I was gonna do. We were gonna At, parlay, and remember? I, yeah, you're gonna parlay, yeah. and I told you to do Tennessee instead, and yeah. you didn't listen to me, did you? I I, I didn't. No. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I guess you don't
1: like making money. It's
2: all good, dude. Uh, all right. <laughs> hey,
1: we're up on the video streams as well. I'll tell you what happened on the video streams. I've never heard of this. Stuart, I think you're going to be entertained by this. Oh, boy. Here we go. Um, it's, it's not really that big a thing. I don't think anybody else will be entertained, but I didn't know this could happen. So that's coming up next. Plus, we go away <laughs> for a little trip. We come home to a special surprise last night when we got into our uh, home. Um, almost had to call out the SWAT team. Oh. So just called me instead, man. I'll tell you why. I, I was why. awake. Uh, Not really that big a surprise. I wasn't probably awake either. You would have thought it was, considering we wanted to call out the SWAT team. And, uh, yeah, these NFL playoffs. Lamar
2: Jackson, does it stain their season? Hey, at least they all can go to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. (laughs) All 12 of them. Hey, and I'll tell you what, we've got to break down what Mike Brable did on defense as well, because he took something out of Bill Belichick's, you know, his playbook, his little mentor, but he actually turned it around on its head. I did something completely different than Bill Belichick. I want to get into that, too. All right. And, by the way, we've
1: got a national championship game tonight. Should be a dandy. Many people say it's easy to pick. I don't think it is. We'll have a little discussion about that. All on the way, we're live at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Come say hello. We're at the Mandarin location, San Jose Boulevard, and live on ESPN 690. I just said, listen, this isn't you. I mean, let's just get back. Relax. Pump the brakes here for about a second. and, And, uh focus refocus and let's go i mean that's it's that simple really i mean you're in that situation you've only
4: got a few quarters uh, to play this game so you got to get it done and uh no need to
1: panic right that's not going to help it at all so you, you just try to fix the problem and that's kind of what we did <laughs> easy to say no re- no need to panic aj uh, andy reed um but you're down twenty four to nothing at home that was stunning by Kansas City, I mean just flat out stunning, and yet I did say it was twenty one nothing I said to Ty because we were driving back from Asheville yep. and I said we're listening to the game and I was like, hey, really all they have to do and think about it like this. I know it sounds like a huge hill to climb, but when Kansas City's offense, you really just have to win each quarter by seven to get it even, sure I mean for Kansas City that's not Now, it's hard to put it in those terms and play it out, especially the way they were playing versus the way Houston was playing. You'd have to shut down Houston for the most part, which is unlikely considering Kansas City doesn't have the strongest defense in the world. So there's a lot of things that had to happen. But um, in its simplicity, I guess on the sideline, that's what I'd be saying. And Andy Reid is as cool as a cucumber, man. I mean, so not a surprise that uh, they didn't panic. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talk about them, not panicking. <laughs> uh, yeah, Submarine Mike with the whiteboard, uh, nice. He's here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Um, Got the whiteboard out. And he's
2: talking smack to me already, man. I yeah. like it. If you're
1: watching I, on the video feeds.
2: I wish and, I had mine now. <laughs>
1: um, but, uh, so anyway, we'll get into that game, Kansas City-Houston. What a wild game. Andy Reid deserves a lot of credit because there were a lot of people would have been saying, hey, still can't do it. Sure. Still can't do it. Sure. Well, that was impressive. Like, when you talk about Andy Reid and his resume, and obviously I believe the players have a lot to do with that. Patrick Mahomes yeah. and Kelsey was unstoppable, and the defense comes up with some big plays. The bottom line is Andy Reid deserves credit in that one. They didn't fold the tent. They kept their composure, and that has to stem from the head coach. You've talked about him a lot. you played for him. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about that coming up. By the way, there's a huge story in Major League Baseball happening right now. That is the Houston Astros. I, I mean, they what a punishment for the stealing of signs and using the electronics in the video. And we're going to get into it later on. But, wow, what a punishment they are facing by Major League Baseball. A.J. Hinch, the GM, suspended for a year from Major League Baseball. Got an update for you, Brett.
3: Both have been fired.
1: And I know. I was getting to that wow. part. They both have now been fired, which is so typical, by the way, of organizations. There's always a scapegoat. I've said this a lot, right, when it comes to maybe even the Jags or other people. There's always scapegoats in in professional sports. You know what? If I was that organization, I might have stuck by these two guys unless it was solely on them. And does anybody believe it was solely on these two guys for letting it happen? And uh, now the Houston Astros have said, hey, we're letting you go. Maybe they had to from a PR move. Or maybe they can all say, you know what, we're all culpable here. We're going down as a team. In this one, that that was on, uh, we shouldn't have let that happen. You know, in, in college football, they'd call it lose, loss of uh, institutional control. So, you know what, I blame the whole Houston organization. I don't blame just those two guys. Obviously, they're the figureheads in it. And maybe they had more of a role as more stuff comes out down the road. We'll get into the Houston situation, but that's a big story in Major League Baseball. And my Red Sox might be dealing with the same thing because word is, from Jeff Passan, Uh, The reporter for ESPN says Alex Cora could be in deep trouble as well because they said the Red Sox did a similar thing in 2018. The poor Dodgers. They lose to the Astros and the the Red Sox in the World Series, and both may have cheated.
2: Well, and it makes you wonder. When we're talking about the Astros here, do you put that asterisk next to the World Series championship?
1: Yeah, I guess you do, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit later. I don't don't, know. The, the cheating in sports, how egregious this is, you know, what does it mean to Houston? But at the end of the day, like, do you still consider Reggie Bush won the Heisman Trophy?
2: Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, you can going to take it away, but it's not going to take my memories away. No. Like, the dude was the best college football player that year. Absolutely, He's yeah, a Heisman Trophy winner. They can take
1: the statue. They can go back and take wins away from universities, but it's done. What's done sure. is done. Now, there is an asterisk, and there should mm-hmm. be an asterisk next, next to that one. I think there will be. But I also think there goes a lot goes in. I don't think it's as simple as that. It's not like, hey, you cheated, you would have lost. Well, I'm not sure that's the case. They're a very good baseball team. But they also stretch the rules and shouldn't have done that. Correct. So uh, it's the same with the Patriots, right? The Patriots, people want to label them cheaters. You know what they are? A damn good dynasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they might have bent the rules at times. Yep. And that's never a good thing in sports, although so many people do it. Uh, it's what I say about steroids, really, in baseball. I think Roger Clemens, I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. They are worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. But they also should have their own wing in the Hall of Fame to say, hey, I cheated too, by the way. I got some of these records because I cheated. I played as long as I did because I cheated. I, I'd be fine with that. So I think the asterisks, to answer your question, yes, I think they should go along with it.
2: Absolutely. And we talk about Barry Bonds. I mean, it's a guy that had a direct correlation of just how the game of baseball changed, right? I mean, Barry Bonds is one of the biggest athletes from whatever sport in my childhood. So I completely agree with you where, yes, he may have cheated. He he may have, um, you know, took illegal substances, But you can't knock the fact that he changed the game of baseball. And for that, you should be rewarded, I think.
1: Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit more later. A lot of legs to this one. Uh, What's happening in Major League Baseball and now the ramifications of it. Uh, Black eye for Major League Baseball and for the Houston Astros here on a Monday um, on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, So many different things to get to. By the way, uh, Stuart, what I was going to say is we didn't have video initially because apparently I didn't know on these little units that we use for TV and we do with the radio show on the road. That, like, our Washington, D.C. Bureau was using the same one somehow. I didn't know that could even happen. I think it might have
3: just been the, the channel it was assigned to. Not yeah. necessarily your actual unit, but we only have a specific number of channels that we can send that live stream to as we use some technical jargon here for the radio listeners. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I'm pretty sure that just meant the D.C. Bureau was in our in that channel and they had to reassign it real quick.
1: It's kind of like being on the same frequency for audio, right? It's
3: why, it's why we uh, why we set up all our live shots 10 minutes before you're supposed to be on the air.
1: Yeah, I would have, except it was giving me this message uh, that I had no idea. So I was ready. I just didn't know what it meant. Yeah,
3: yeah. So I
1: had to call in the uh, authorities. I'm going to call in the, the authorities. Experts. One, one quick story. So, okay, we get home. We a seven, eight-hour drive home from Asheville. Had a good time, all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, we come back in and um, open the door. And we see a snake go inside the garage. Ooh! And it's kind of like a colored snake, right? So it's it's not like your black racer. So now you're like, okay, I'm not a snake expert. (laughs) You're on Google right now? But yeah, Steph's like Googling. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's a corn snake, Steph. Corn snakes are fine. Like, it's not a big deal. Sure. Uh, They're actually good. Red and yellow, kill a fella,
3: red and black, friend of Jack.
1: There we go. So, but, so anyway. So the kids. You you didn't learn that one, Austin? (laughs) No, man. No. So so it is like 9 o'clock at night, though. And we're trying to get the snake out of the garage. Yeah. So it's like hiding, and we're trying to get it out. I mean, it's not, it's in the corner. Mm -hmm. Well, all of a sudden, so I kind of use like a golf club or something to kind of push it out the door. I wasn't even, I wasn't at this time like trying to kill it. Sure. I'm just trying to push it out the garage. Yeah. Well, it goes like in the corner of the garage, and I'm telling you, it still has not been found. Oh. So, like, I'm like, it's inside, like, it, it, it curled itself up to somewhere I can't even see. You know where, like, the sensor is for your garage? Yeah. Like, on the other side is, like, a piece of wood and some concrete. And I don't know if we have a hole in there yeah. that I can't see.
2: Probably a whole nest of them living, huh?
1: There could be, I mean, it could be... I'm
2: just trying to scare
1: you. Dude, arachnophobia.
2: Sorry. Arachnophobia with snakes, whatever that would be.
1: So, the bottom line is, uh, <laughs> the snake might still live in the house, but <laughs> I managed to sleep okay yesterday.
2: I mean, I was going to say, dude, like, you could give me a call, but I don't really mess around with snakes too much. Now, if it was a cat problem, you know who to call. But snakes is a different story. Um, yeah, I can't help you out there, man.
1: So, my neighbors know, like, I'm not, I don't take care of any of this stuff, right? Yep. Usually, I'm not at, at home when this stuff happens. And uh, so. Mr. Calvin, who lives down the way, he comes and takes care of a lot of this kind of stuff. Like Mr. Calvin?
2: Mom. Yeah, right. for sure.
1: Yep. So anyway, the girls are texting, uh, like Kaylee's texting, and my mom's, like, hey, what can you do? Can you come down here and figure this thing out? I'm like, hey, hey, I'm here right here with a golf club. I can do this. <laughs> but I failed. I didn't get the snake out. Then he told me there's like this sticky thing that he puts in the corner of the garage, because yeah. eventually the, the snake will attach itself to the, the sticky whatever. Okay. Is it a stick? Nah, it's not a stick. I don't know. It might be. I don't know what it is, but I guess you can buy it. Never heard of it.
2: Okay, but then so you gotta you sticks gotta, gotta unpeel it though, to it. though. You gotta take the snake well, off it. Well, hey, you just throw the stick least, in the yard and it does itself. At least it's
1: there.
3: Yeah, at least it's there. Is
1: that what it is, Stuart? A sticky stick?
2: I don't. I
3: don't know. Uh, ophidiophobia, oh, by the way, uh, fear of snakes.
1: Oh, ophidiophobia. Yeah,
2: arachnophobia? arachnophobia. That's, With
1: spiders, that's man. spiders. Oh, that was spiders. Yeah, that was yeah. a good movie. John Goodman, um, I think. Yeah, that
2: was. I don't know about a good movie. Oh, Brent. Scared scare the nightmare. crap out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, it, it did its purpose to me. But
1: hey, uh, last part about the snake. So we get home uh, this morning. We went and uh, got a little workout in. Come back, and I'm telling you, we opened that garage like we oh. were carrying.
4: Get yeah, be careful, man. gotta be, careful, man. You
1: gotta be careful. Ready to go to battle. This horn snake. <laughs> We're like it's like there are ten of them that were going to jump out. Oh the for garage. sure, ready, for man. sure. I mean, it was like we were the SWAT team today yeah. coming back, especially because we felt a little tougher after the workout, maybe. But uh, <laughs> anyway, no idea what a snake is. This is a corn snake. Can't be too bad, yeah. um, I guess. Sorry. Right, hey, quick. Uh, let's talk sports. A uh, quick reaction to John D. Filippo. Were you surprised? And um, what do you think it means?
2: Well, so they reported saying that they've mutually parted, mutually right? Agreed. And I've been very adamant about this, saying that I think John Filippo is a Nick Foles guy, right? He was the guy that brought Nick Foles into Jacksonville. They had a relationship. They've won a Super Bowl together. Anytime you do that, you have some kind of relationship. You have some kind of bond. And I think this had a lot to do with... The Jaguars, I think, at least choosing to go with Garner Minshew going forward and John D. Filippo not really, you know, vibing with that, wanting Nick Foles to be the starter and him wanting to leave.
1: That's a great thought, and and that's kind of where everybody's head's at right now. See, I think mutually agreed is a nice way, like, when you're about to get fired sometimes, they'll say, hey, I'm resigning, right, because it looks better. Now, mutually agreed can also mean that. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to go our different ways here, but we don't want to make it look like this was all your fault. Of course. You know, I mean, it was pretty obvious. They wanted to make it look like it was a lot of Tom Coughlin's fault when they fired him, mm-hmm. you know. That wasn't the case here. But I think what you just said might be reality, too. Was this more of DiFilippo being loyal to his guy and saying, hey, because you know how we, we both believe they're going forward with Minshew here. Absolutely. I believe it. I, I mean, nobody's come out and said, said it, but I think this move also indicates it. Because if they were going to go with Foles, wouldn't you try to keep Filippo since they had worked together? This might be Filippo saying, hey, that's my guy right there, and you're not going with him. I don't want to be a part of this. I love Gardner. Nothing against him. But uh, uh, this is wrong. Like, you should be going with Nick Foles, and we can't come to an agreement here, and, and we're just... We feel differently about it. Again, it's not like I hate this guy or love this guy. Just that we feel different about the vision going forward, and maybe that's why the mutually parting of
2: ways. Here's what bothers me, though, about this whole situation. It's the fact that if you're Doug Marone, if you're Dave Caldwell, you have to win this up-and-coming season. Yeah. There, there's no ands ifs, or doubts about it. And to have another offensive coordinator now that you have to bring in, you have to teach the terminology to the team. You have to have Gardner Minshew relearn some verbiage, relearn a whole other offense. You have to have the wide receivers learn that, Leonard Cornette's got to learn that. And we don't even know what the philosophy is going to be yet. We don't know what the team identity is going to be like. And I just think of such an important year coming up for Doug Marone and the GM to have another offensive coordinator coming in now. It's just it's horrible timing. And it's, in my opinion, I think it's going to be a detriment to the team, regardless of who they get, because now they're behind the eight ball a little bit.
1: Does this move alone start any other moves that might happen, including Todd Wash, who everybody would like to see go, it seems, from the fan base? Mm-hmm. Um, and does this also signal... This wasn't a good move to keep Doug Marone around because now you've got this splintered offensive staff once again, and you're trying to replace with exactly what you just said. Let's get into that part of it. John D. Filippo gone from the Jacksonville Jaguars after one year. Think about this guy. I hope he's been renting and not buying. He was like 10 months in Minnesota. Gone. He was in <laughs> Philly before that. Obviously, a ton of success. Now in Jacksonville, one year gone. I mean, it's the nature of the beast in the NFL. But they have not had success. And where do the Jags go now with OC? And what does it mean? Do you have to get somebody to buy into Minshew or Foles or the combination of both? Uh, very tough situation now here in Jacksonville with the offense. Let's talk more about it. Your thoughts. Welcome as well. Star Star 690. 904 We are live at Jumpin Jack's House of Food. Come say hello. San Jose Boulevard in Mandarin. Live on ESPN 690.
5: it sucked it's not fun I mean but that's what happened and you uh, you wish it didn't happen like that but that's what happened and so now you have to live with that and that's that's what happens when you get into this game when you get into sports is you you live for the highs and you hope to avoid the lows but you have to understand that in order to strive for those highs that you're going to potentially face the consequence of the lows that come with it and that's where we are we're we're experiencing that low and it sucks That's
1: JJ Watt after the game, 24 to nothing lead. That one's tough to swallow, man. Uh, I didn't realize this stat: Houston has never won a postseason game on the road. The Houston Texans. Yeah, and they were up 24 to nothing, and they must be asking themselves if we couldn't win that one, we may never win one. I mean, that's the (laughs) way it goes. So, I mean, that was amazing. Uh, just to see the comeback and the onslaught. And what I really took out of that was that will be for every special teams coach in the league, that will be a game they will clip because there were six special teams plays that were huge in that football game. And that at first led to 24 to nothing and then led to the comeback for the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll talk yeah. about Bill O'Brien, some of his moves. The you know, Houston Texans are so done with Bill O'Brien. Of course. Even though he wins the AFC South and goes to the playoffs a lot, they haven't been able to deliver. And they've got some talented players that have not been able to deliver. But again, I think one thing is happening here, folks, this postseason. Actually, I'll say two things. One, I don't believe we appreciate enough what happened in 2017 around here. Because everybody wants to get rid of everybody and say how the quarterbacks are bad, and you missed on Watson, and you missed on Mahomes, and you missed on Lamar Jackson. Shouldn't have taken Leonard Fournette. Look at him now. Doug Marone should be fired. Tom Coughlin's fault. Everybody wants to say all those things, but nobody really wants to say 2017 was fun. Sure. <laughs> you know. And I think this postseason is showing you how difficult it can be to even get to that position, the final four in the NFL. And that doesn't make everything better. I'm not asking you to. But I I do think we dismiss 2017 sometimes around here. Because Bortles was a part of it. Now because Coughlin. Now because everybody thinks Marone should be gone. All those things. I think it's damn hard to win. In the postseason It's hard to win the NFL But it's hard to win In the postseason I think the Saints Have proven that Houston continues to prove that Heck the Patriots Couldn't make it through Round one this year And the Ravens After how unstoppable They've been They don't even get To the championship game A place the Jaguars got A couple of years ago And the other part I guess that goes Hand in hand Is just My part two Was man It really is difficult You can have such A great season in the NFL you can look so good and it's a different ball game in January players have told me that for years and years and i think this once again puts an exclamation point on it Preseason to regular season, different animal. Regular season to postseason, different game, different animal. And I think these teams are showcasing why.
2: But if anything, Brent, what I'm taking away so far is that it makes makes you appreciate the coaching. And it makes you appreciate the culture, right? Because Andy Reid came close last year, and he had his team playing very well. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes was the big story of last year. They lose the Patriots in a very close nail biter. Patriots go to the Super Bowl. We know the story; they win it, right? Now, fast forward to this year. Chiefs are back. They're looking pretty dominant. You called them to win the uh, the Super Bowl uh, when we kind of did our predictions for the playoffs, and so far you're looking pretty good, Brent. And it's a testament to just what Andy Reid can bring to the table. Now they haven't won the big one yet, right? He he he's gone there before, I think once, if I'm not mistaken, but he hasn't won the big one. But he has his team in prime position to make that run now. And on the other side of the coin, guys like Mike Vrabel. Okay, Mike Vrabel. Listen, you, you hear these quotes of him wanting to, you know, chop off his, you know, what the one is, and people think like, okay, that's kind of crazy. But h- how many coaches actually would say that? Bro? Also, sure, on how a podcast. hard it is. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we thought it was but, hard, but, but but here's the point: the chopper, How many? Too, but I mean, winning <laughs> the Super Bowl. <laughs> but how many? How many coaches would go on, you know, one of their their players' podcasts and then have a soundbite like that? There's not too many of them in the NFL. And, you know, everything that you hear about Mike Vrabel is this guy's an old-school type of dude, yeah. right? Like, he, he runs a very tight ship, but guess what? He can also relate to his players, right? Like, you, you saw after the game in Baltimore, he gave everyone a hug as they're coming down the hallway. You can tell that his players love to play for him. And to me, this this whole playoff thing, this has been about coaching and philosophy and identity. I think we're seeing that in spades. Well, he's,
1: spades. A, he's a good man. You know, first of all, he's... He's at a good age where he still played a somewhat recently. People know him from his playing days mm-hmm. with the Patriots. And now he's worked his way up. I think it's respected that he had, I know he didn't go through the whole ladder of coaching, but he stopped in Houston. Yep. You know, and he was, he was kind of like this hot commodity and then went to Tennessee and became the guy. So I think there's respect for Vrabel. And by the way, I said this last week. That was before this game. The job that Doug Peterson, even in his loss last week, has done mm-hmm. in the last few years, and the job that Mike Vrabel has done, to me is an exclamation point on coaching does matter. And, and you know me, if you listen to me over the years, I'm more of the player side. I'm like, guys, players make plays. But I think those two show you how coaching does matter. For these teams who, quite frankly, are very, on paper, just kind of mediocre, like they're not, like, the Kansas City, you know why they win. Andy Reid adds to it. Correct. New England over the years, you know why they've won, but Belichick adds to it. Seattle's got Russell Wilson. Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers. Tennessee just won two games in the postseason with their quarterback throwing for less than 100 yards in each of those games. Mentality. Having your team ready. Coaching, All that matters. They figured out what nobody could figure out. A way to stop Lamar Jackson and Baltimore, at least to the point where they had to put it all on his shoulders and let him start throwing it up around 50 times in that football game. We'll break down those games a little bit more, but I do think they show coaching matters. And I also think it shows for the people that say, hey, we want Doug Marona, we want this. I think it actually adds to their case. Because I think if you look at what's happened in Jacksonville, The teams on paper are not that separated. Tennessee, even Houston, and
2: Jacksonville. I I really don't. Do you think there's a huge talent gap between the three teams? I mean, as far as talent on paper... I mean, obviously, I would say Jackson was probably in, in the bottom third of that Okay, I mean, I think you think it, they're number three in, in terms of personnel. Yes, Jacksonville's number three, but it's it's not like this astronomical thing. It's not like if you compare the Chiefs to the Jaguars, right? Like to yeah. me, like the Chiefs have one of the most talented rosters in all of yeah NFL. the Saints to the yeah, Jaguars, exactly. But. Obviously, there is a big leap and a big bound between culture, between philosophy, between identity, and between coaching, in yeah. my opinion. And,
1: and, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think there's an exclamation point on that around here. It's like, why can't you do it, Jacksonville? Yeah. Why can't you even win eight, nine games and put yourself in this position? Because that's all Tennessee's done. Mm-hmm. They did it with Mike Mullarkey for a couple of years, and now they've done it with Vrabel. They've put themselves in position. It's not like they've rolled off 12, 13 wins and dominated everybody. Mm-hmm. That's all we're asking around here, put yourself in position. So I do think it is a little bit of an indictment on the Jaguars and what, from a talent standpoint, you can't just sit here and say, well, yeah, everybody's better than us. They're this. No, they're really not. I mean, again, Tennessee is not that much better on paper than the jaguars Do you know what they are? They're a whole hell of a lot tougher, I can they're tell you They're
2: a lot that. more physical and they have a lot better, you know, guys in the trenches. I think especially on offense, obviously, with guys like Taylor Luan, Conklin, you got got um, the guy that they signed, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, the guy that they signed this year, the guard. Ah, uh, yeah, you
1: brought him up before. Um, Why well, can't think of his you name? You can man. get it. I'm yeah, I'll switch get it. topics, yep. uh, and we'll put, we'll we'll talk more about these games. But we got to talk more about John yep. Uh and what now? Again, go back to Filippo. I think people were excited about Filippo coming in here, and then Nick Foles, Rogers S-
2: Rogers Sappel. Sorry, right. yep, right. got it.
1: Yeah, and right. you really like him. So I do. Look yeah, really well. Yep. Um, yeah, there is a toughness to Tennessee, though. How do you create that? Well, you can create it when you have Derrick Henry, too. I uh, We'll talk a little bit more about <laughs> these, these final four games that, that will happen and what happened this past weekend just a bit. But I want to spend some time on Filippo here uh, in our 3 o'clock hour, live from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Mortno, along with Austin Lane. Thanks to Jumpin' Jack's House of Food for sponsoring our one-year party, by the way, that's coming up on Friday. You can register ESPN690.com. John Filippo, when he got here, I thought, you know what, that's not bad. You know, you replaced Nathaniel Hackett. Filippo has some nice things. That means they're going to throw it around a little bit more. He likes to throw it. It's what got him out of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a philosophical disagreement uh, with Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. And he had a successful year with Kirk Cousins. Then you bring in Nick Foles, and you're like, okay, I see this now. Yeah. now all you're missing, really, in the Filippo foles connection is the tight ends, and the Jaguars drafted one, but they obviously were very thin at tight ends. Then I think you need to give – I want to go back to what we said about eight games into this year. And you have to give Filippo credit for two things. One, what he did to help Gardner Minshew. I don't know how much he gets credit for that, how much everybody's just like, oh, that was all Gardner. <laughs> sure. That's all Gardner, right? Yeah. That's what I love about this topic sometimes. Like, uh, player does well, that's all the player. Uh, player does bad, well, that was the coach's fault. Mm-hmm. No, it's not that. It, that. He deserves some credit for helping Gardner Minshew along in a tough spot. For the entire football team. But a tough spot for Gardner. Tough spot for the offensive coordinator. And obviously a tough port for this offense. Who had lived through the spring and spring uh, training camp. With Nick Foles as the QB. And kind of was like, wow. Alright, we got Nick Foles. Then all of a sudden they got dealt. Oh no, we have a rookie quarterback, (laughs) a sixth-round pick. So I think you have to give him a ton of credit. And if we go back to some of our conversations, first eight games, man, we were like, man, I like Foles. Oh, every single time,
2: every single time we opened the show, Brent, I I was giving John D. Filippo props, you know, because to me, he was almost like the backup quarterback whisperer. Right when Nick Foles, I'm sorry, when Carson Wentz goes down in Philly, Nick Foles comes in. Nick Foles is not Carson Wentz, okay? And John D. Filippo knew that, so he kind of tailored the offense a little bit to what Nick Foles did well. And guess what? They won a Super Bowl because of it. Same thing, I believe, with Gardner Minshew. Nick Foles goes down. Guess what? Gardner Minshew is not Nick Foles. Some would probably say he's better right now. And I thought John D. Flipper did a fantastic job, especially early on in Gardner Minshew's career of using those short intermediate passes, getting Gardner Minshew involved, you know, like with, with, with the QB rollouts and things of like that, using his legs a little bit, and obviously setting up the play action with Leonard Fournette. I thought he did a fantastic job with that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I just think from my naked eyes – it looked a little different. Mm-hmm. People were in motion. It looked like there was some creativity. We hadn't seen a whole lot of that around this decade, this last decade in Jacksonville. We saw some signs, and when it was clicking, everything looks good. But there are things like, why don't you use D.D. Westbrook more? Why don't you do this more? Well, I thought he was doing some of that. Then all of a sudden, everything goes downhill when they go back to Foles. And for some crazy, this thing, you know what's amazing? Nathaniel Hackett got fired a couple years ago. Again, close friends with Doug Marone. I thought he actually did a pretty decent job. I was surprised by that firing at the time. But you know where it all went downhill for Nathaniel Hackett, in my opinion, when they were in London against the Philadelphia Eagles, and Blake Bortles threw it 30-something times in a row in the yeah. second half. It's not who you are. 30-something times. Who in their right mind would sign up for that? Mm-hmm. Nobody. Blake Bortles wouldn't sign off on that. He'd have to, you'd have to give him a waiver <laughs> before he would sign up to that. And then, this time around, they have Leonard Fournette. And they come out, and they have this must-win game against Indianapolis. Foles is coming back. They go down the field. Remember, they take a 7 nothing lead. They're like, yes, this is awesome. It's a tight game at halftime. They threw the ball 47 times in that game with Foles. They gave it to their best player, Leonard Fournette, eight times. Who was one of the best running backs in the league at the time. And you were like, what are you doing? It was almost like... DiFilippo got tied up in the headlines of Foles coming back and wanted to make it this big like splash thing. Here he is. This is what they paid $88 million for. I know he didn't do that, but it almost felt like he did that. And that's where it started going downhill for DiFilippo. Remember, they went seven games where I think the number was 22 combined points in the first half. They could not get going offensively. And by the time they got to the second half, the other team either blew the doors off them or they were already up big at halftime. Then the other big thing, and I thought this is where I questioned Filippo the most in 2019, especially toward the second half of the year, but even some in the first half, is their inability to be successful in the red zone. They were one of the worst teams in the red zone, I think 31st in the NFL in the red zone. I thought some of his like second down play calling, I can remember three different instances where I said, what was that? Why did he call that? So I thought some of his play calling led to their ineptitude, in the red zone at times, and they end up finishing 26th and scoring at 18 points a game, I think it was, close to 19, and then uh, 31st in the red zone. So that does go back to the OC, uh, I think, at the end of the day. And it just all fell apart, and I think it started against Indianapolis.
2: And I absolutely agree with you. You I was very adamant where, I guess, my faith and my trust kind of fell in John DiFilippo. And it actually occurred to me in Houston, and then after that, I'm sorry, not in Houston, but in London, when they played Houston, and then it kind of trickled down to the Indianapolis game. Because going to that London game, Brent, the biggest story was, was Gardner Minshew going to be the starter going forward or not? And what a lot of people thought, including myself, was the fact that Gardner Minshew, is auditioning for the starting role, right? Where if he has a good game against the Texans, one could think that he might be the guy going forward. Well, what happens? The the Jaguars get absolutely blown out in London. Gardner Minshew, you know, starts stringing some passes together towards the end of the game, but the whole plan that entire game was to run Leonard Fournette on the ground, you know, and then they didn't give Gardner Minshew a chance to show off his skill set. So literally, it was like you you call this conservative game plan for a quarterback who's auditioning, and you don't even give him a chance to succeed. And then the very next week... The Jaguars going to Indianapolis on the road. Nick Foles coming out of an injury. You have Leonard Fournette, mind you, and you pass the ball how many times? It was almost like we have Nick Foles. Let's let Nick Foles go beat the Indianapolis Colts. Well, you had Gardner Minshew in London. Why don't you let him try to beat the Texans, especially when he's auditioning? So to me, I don't want to say there's any kind of favoritism going on um, with, with the play calling, but I thought it was very evident, the fact that they ran a super conservative, a super very vanilla game in London, and then they come back into Indianapolis and they put the ball in Foles' hands. That yeah. was very telling to me. Yeah, and,
1: and so that to that point, how much how loyal is he to Foles? And I think the answer there is probably pretty loyal. But how much do you think this was Marone saying, hey, we're not in the same vision here. We need a break. We need to change. Or how much do you think it seriously was De Filippo saying, hey, you know what, guys? Listen, I love the kid. Kid did a great job. I just disagree with you here. I think you, you guys gave Foles two games. We didn't set him up very well. you know. I believe in that guy. That's the guy you should be riding with, and, and we have a difference. And, and, again, I think we have to let everybody know. Nobody's come out and said who they're riding with. But I have Correct. been telling you since the day I left that building that Tuesday, which was New Year's Eve, and they announced they were coming back, I said part of the plan here is they're going with Mitchu. There's no doubt in my mind that they are committed to Minshew going forward. And so how much do you think it might have been Di Filippo in this scenario to say, you know what? I love the kid. I just think you're wrong here. You're making the wrong move. Yeah, listen,
2: I don't know John DeFleepo personally. I don't know how the guy operates. I don't know the kind of offensive. I mean, I kind of get the philosophy a little bit, but I don't know exactly what he looks for in a starting quarterback per se. But I have been on teams. I've been on four different teams. And on every single one of those teams I saw, and I'm not going to snitch on anybody here, but I saw a talent that wasn't being cultivated because – the guys that were playing, you know, we, we either uh, a coach's favorite. Yeah. They, they they were tied to the really coach. The relationships, right? There's the, there's it politics does happen, involved. What it happens in every single NFL locker room. Gosh, don't, it don't get no me wrong. Sense. Well, and, it
1: millions of dollars on. Well, the and it, here's
2: the thing, it makes zero sense at the end of the day because the most important thing is to what? Win games. You know, this is performance based business. But at the same time, we always see these in coaching hirings. We see these in players where it's like, well, why is he playing? Why is he getting hired? It's all about the relationships, too, at the end of the day. Now, I'm not saying that John D. Filippo is gone because he wanted Nick Foles to be the starter, and maybe he's not going to be. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm also not saying that's not the reason, because at the end of the day, relationships are huge. And you want to talk about a bond, a relationship, a correlation between two people. Anytime you win a Super Bowl with a quarterback, you guys are forever tied together. So the fact that I think Garner Mincher was the guy going forward, I think it would be safe to hedge your bet to say John DiFilippo is not a fan of Gardner Minshew being the starting quarterback next year.
1: Yeah, and that's not a fan of Gardner Minshew, but being the starting guy over Foles. And I yeah. think that's, a, again, I think if you ask around the league and you ask an OC to come in there and be like, "Are oh, you want to ride with Minshew or Foles, I think there are more people who would say Foles than people out in Jacksonville want to admit. And D. Filippo might have been one of those guys. What about Todd Washington? How seriously could this impact the Jaguars' development of Minshew if he is the guy going forward? That's next on ESPN 690.
5: And we have such a special relationship
0: with our our fans. Guys who've been other places understand how special it is here. It's just a different uh, connection. We don't have an owner. We have thousands of people who have a piece of paper that's a stock certificate but people feel like they're invested in what we're doing
5: and they stuck with us through a couple rough years Uh, so to walk off the field being a two seed where I mean let's be honest I don't know that even our fans felt supremely confident in us that a lot of the media didn't as well but to be able to walk off that field again victorious there's there's no feeling like it
1: Hey, that's Aaron Rodgers talking about the fan base in uh, Green Bay. It's interesting. I heard another soundbite from Rodgers where it, it's not like he called them out, but he basically said, I don't even know if our fans thought we were going to win this game, be in this position. Yeah. And he said the same about the media, of course, the local media. If the local media doesn't pick, pick your you read it yeah. um, <laughs> as a player. But – uh I was a little surprised at that. And then it was interesting to hear this kind of side of him. But sure. I, I might have just heard like eight seconds of something. Yeah. And it was a little bit out of context. But um, but either way, Aaron Rodgers back. You know, Aaron Rodgers being back in the final four of this thing. Aaron Rodgers being front and center in the NFL, which it feels like he hasn't been. Mm-hmm. Like, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, it's almost like he says he's under the radar. It's not like he's under the radar, but he certainly hasn't been the face of the NFL. I mean, think about all the different people, right? I mean, you got... Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and you got Brady over the years. Uh, yeah, Drew Brees feels like he's more of a face than than Aaron Rodgers these days. I'm not saying nobody knows who Aaron Rodgers is, but he certainly doesn't get Russell Wilson I'll throw in there. I mean, he mm. even though he's people argue talent wise that he might be the best quarterback in the game and that forget about talent just overall, he might still be the best quarterback in the game. I feel like he's about the eighth quarterback that we talk about.
2: No, you know, and I think that's more of just Green Bay as a team in general, because I do agree with you. And the same can be said for uh, Adams, you know, the wide receiver. Devonta Adams, it's, nobody talks about yeah, him. Well, Devonta Adams last night put on an absolute master class yeah, clinic. Of, of how to play the wide receiver position. And guess what? When, and he's been he's been hurt a little bit this year. He's missed a couple games. But when he's been in there, he's been the only go-to receiver, okay, because they're, they're two receiver. Is really non existent. You know, like they've been rotating guys. You got the, you got Scantling, you got Allison, you got uh, L- Lazard, uh, Jimmy Graham. You know, I was playing the tight end position. All they had really is Devontae Adams. So, from the perspective of having one, I think, one of the best wide receivers in all of the NFL and still having one of the most legit quarterbacks in the entire NFL, nobody talks about him. I agree. Now, has Aaron Jones maybe took away some of that shine? But Aaron Tell Jones it. is a, is another guy who no one really seems to talk about. That I mean, monster year. No, and you he, know, if anybody else... You know Saquon, he, yeah. If Saquon
1: yeah. Barkley had his year... Yeah, I know because of fantasy. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if Saquon Barkley had his year... People would be talking about MVP, mm-hmm. right? If think about another running back, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of year Aaron Jones had. He actually had an MVP caliber year. What do you have, like 19 touchdowns or something? Something yeah,
2: Crazy. Absolutely. Well, that's a I, good
1: I, pick I had.
2: Exactly. Good call. You still didn't beat me though on Edge. Jets it's all right though, man. There's always next year, right? Brenton's always next year. I uh, could be an asterisk next to my championships. But when we're talking, <laughs> yeah, about,
1: we're gonna we're investigating.
2: <laughs> but when we're talking about the Green Bay Packers, you know, what? I think part of it. And as crazy as it sounds, it just stems from they don't really grab the headlines because there's not a lot of drama that happens in Green Bay. You know, I mean, if you want to go into the preseason a little bit, you know, supposedly Aaron Rodgers had a little bit of problem of, of some of the play calling, of some of the audibles, you know, with uh, Coach LaFleur when he came in. But besides that, it's been all quiet on the Western front. But, you know, you have the Minnesota Vikings. you got Stefan Diggs that wants out. Then you have Adam Thielen being the most humble guy while calling out Kirk Cousins. Then you have Kirk Cousins responding. And it seems like every one of these NFL teams, they have some kind of turmoil or, like, the ups and downs. But the Green Bay Packers, and yes, I mean, they've had a lot of wins this season. And they've been blown out on the West Coast twice. But nobody seems to talk about it because they just kind of go about their business very quietly. And I think they've done that all season. And now we'll see going into San Francisco, which has been a hard place to play for Aaron Rodgers and also the Packers on the West Coast in general, if they can finally get it together. More uh, NFL talking
1: just a little bit in terms of the playoffs. But let's stay on the Jaguars for a moment or two. And, all right, Gardner Minshew, we feel like they're riding with him. I, don't, I will tell you this. I do not like the constant change. You know, I've told you before, I said you couldn't, going into the Marone and Caldwell thing, the only thing worse you could have done is do one or the other, gone. Uh So I think if they were coming back, then bring them both back. If they were going, then get rid of both of them. I think that kind of trying to fit a puzzle piece into things in the NFL is very difficult to do. I think when you have chemistry on your football team, in your front office, in your coaching staff, I think that's an important deal. And it's hard to get, by the way, because, well, like, take Minnesota. Stefanski's going to Cleveland. Well, they have to replace him. Well, that's a different story. This was almost a choice to replace. And I, it just, the reason why this sticks out to me, and so much so with the offensive coordinator, is if you look at some of the success of the other players around the league, the Bradys of the world, uh, I would say the Rodgers of the world, with McCarthy, Drew Brees, and Sean Payton, what has been the staple? mostly consistency. Mm-hmm. They don't like change as great as they are. So if you're a quarterback that's not as good as the greats, how are you supposed to adapt and be successful to change? Blake Bortles had, what, four offensive coordinators in his time in Jacksonville? Yeah. Four in five years? Uh, okay, you might think Blake Bortles is a bad quarterback, and you probably are right, and it's not going to, it didn't work and all that stuff. But they sure as heck didn't put him in a position to be successful. And I do believe that was the biggest fault of the Gus Bradley era. If you give me one thing in the Gus Bradley era, the hiring of Jed Fish to start it all was the biggest mistake he made because what it did is it triggered them firing him a year and a half in and then they had to go get another offensive coordinator, even though nobody thought he was going to be there for anything more than a year. I think that ended up being Greg Olson. Mm -hmm. The Greg Olson thing, Greg didn't want uh, Bortles going out to California. Greg Olson didn't work out. You fire him. He comes back. Nathaniel Hackett takes over, you know, and then Nathaniel Hackett bridges them into the Marone. You know, there's just been this, like, plug-and-play. It's not a plug-and-play position. O.C. and Q.B. better better be like this. Yeah. They, they shouldn't be like, hey, how you doing? Never, nice to meet you. Yeah. Now, that happens with rookies. But my point in all this is I think that's where things go bad. Like, I would sign up right now to say this isn't going to work out. It, because the trend is it's not going to work out. You don't just go grab a guy off the street, plug him in with the quarterback and the head coach that you have and the offensive staff and offensive players you have and say, bam, top ten offense in the NFL. Go look it up the trends do not point to that being a very successful play. I think this could well, be a disaster for the Jags, having to change out offensive coordinator.
2: But, but to be fair though, Ryan Tannehill's benefited from a new change of scenery with a he new has. offensive plan, and, and also Aaron Rodgers has, and now with LaFleur, because is really calling the plays in Green Bay. Like it, It's his offense that's getting utilized. So you got two teams in the playoffs right now still that are using new offensive coordinators. But my point is, and Can I agree I you with you here.
1: I give a caveat on Tannehill, though? The one thing about Tannehill is, first of all, he sat Right, so he sure. got to. He wasn't thrown into that fire, yeah. and it's almost like they needed Tannehill more than Tannehill needed them, Correct. because they yeah. needed a change to Mariota. But it's a yeah. perfect connection. It actually, they say it in the broadcast on the NFL playoff games. He found the great fit. Why is it so hard to go find a great fit if you're a free agency? Don't you want to find the mm-hmm. fit? Like that's why we thought Flip and Foles were a good fit. Yeah,
2: and then it didn't materialize. Go ahead. No, so uh, I absolutely agree with you here, though, and, and this is why I was so adamant. Where if you're going to clean house. Then you bring somebody in who, either at the coordinator position or the head coaching position, that is obviously offensive oriented, but it's also a dynamic and as a forward thinker. Because what you, in my opinion, what you would want is a guy to come in and say, "All right, we got Gardner Minshew. Here's what I want to do with him." You know, I'm excited. This kid is like is like, a, is like a, just clay right now, and I want to mold him into my offense. Well, now you can't do that because you've essentially kept Doug Marone, You essentially wanted to keep John John DiFilippo from all indications, and now you're basically just trying to put a Band-Aid over a ship that's trying to sink, basically. And if you're an offensive coordinator right now, put yourself in their shoes. What offensive coordinator wants to come to Jacksonville wholeheartedly and coach the Jacksonville Jaguars knowing that this year is pretty much make or break where if you don't do well, you might be out of a job again? So, essentially, you're probably going to get the best offensive coordinator uh, at the position just because the resume, what, what you're asking for them to do, is it's not fair to them. So you're going to have to probably go to the bottom of the barrel, scrape somebody that you probably don't want, just to try to make things work here. That's my point.
1: And it's so you're playing catch-up, and you, it, it's, it's the cat chasing his tail all the time. Yeah. And, and the Jags are in this position again. And that's where, again, if you're a proponent of resetting and get rid of Marone and, and Caldwell and resetting, this is where you win. Because, to me, they could change the defensive side of the football, and I know that we're going to get into that. But the offensive side, if I've got a little momentum with this young quarterback and I feel like I want to go all in with him, I want to keep the momentum. And and this is a smaller part of it, but Milanovic is in the CFL now. So his QB coach and his OC are gone. And, again, I think these guys are professionals. I think they can adapt. I think if you're good, you're good. I do believe all that stuff. But at the same time, I can also give you so many times this has not worked. And there is one concrete difference between the good quarterbacks and the bad. And I don't know which one. It's like Belichick or Brady, right? Sure. But the bad quarterbacks usually go through a ton of coaches, mostly because their record isn't good and things yeah. aren't good. And the good quarterbacks usually stick through it. I mean, you've got a guy like McDaniels who's been up for jobs left and right, and he's still there in New England with Brady. You know, and he hasn't left He's He's turned down
2: coaching jobs.
1: Yes. Imagine if he was coaching the Colts right now. He's pulled the plug on a coaching job because of it. So I I just think, I do think there's an importance to it. I don't know how much, I'm not saying Gardner Minshew can't be good. I'm just telling you the trend is right now with the Jags having to kind of plug somebody in, which could be a square peg into a round hole. It doesn't look good offensively in 2020 for the Jags. I don't like their chances having to change and get what you just said. Might be someone that's 12th on their list of offensive coordinators, a guy looking for a job. Now, there are some guys out there. I just texted Todd Munkin, former Jags wide receiver coach, said, Hey, come on over. Come to Jacksonville, man. Yeah, Good dude. Uh, But... uh, well, you know, we'll see. I mean, the Freddie Kitchens of the world, so what people are throwing out. Like, Jason Garrett, is he going to New York, the Giants, Wait, uh, you see, know, any well, of here's, these kind well, of guys?
2: Here's the problem with Jason Garrett, though. Jason Garrett wouldn't come to Jacksonville unless he knew there's a head coaching gig possibly in the future for him. Well, right? Okay. So, but well, Doug well, I mean, honestly, added
1: those tea leaves up, too, it looked like, and it worked out pretty well, well for
2: but, him. No, but I'm being serious. Okay, so say that you're Jason Garrett. You were the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys last year, and now you're trying to be an offense coordinator. You think you're going to come into Jacksonville and just... Uh, aspire to be an offensive coordinator for a couple years? No. You're, you're going to try to, and I'm not going to say sabotage, you. I think that's not, that's not the case, but you're kind of banking on, you know what, maybe we do really bad this season, maybe we, we don't do live up to our standards, the coaches get fired and maybe I get retained, and now I'm the head coach of the Jackson. Yeah. I mean, like, any offensive coordinator with head coach aspirations would be crazy not to think that way. But I think, and here's the deal, there's a part of me that believes
1: DiFilippo was like that. I think offensive coordinators yeah. are like that, you know. I think I think especially I think all coaches I mean aspire to be a head coach. But, but John DeFazio wasn't a head coach before, though. No, yeah. I get your point. Yeah. Your point, but but again, I mean, do you think isn't that part of the reason Doug Marone this might have looked appetizing? Doug Marone coming down here and being a a line coach, you know, yeah. A, yeah. in Jacksonville, yeah. sure, and having a say and helping out and do the best you can. But maybe this works out down the road that. Hey, if it doesn't work out, I might be up for it. Sure, I mean that happens. That's business. Yeah. And you know, once the one part of that is, if, if a Jason Garrett or somebody like that was thinking that way, they better perform well. So yeah. they better do their part mm-hmm. because I got to impress people that I might be able to handle this. So um, I, I I get what you're saying, though. I, I by the way, I don't think there's a chance in heck there's like a Jason Garrett coming here. I really don't. I, I think this is going to be. I mean, I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, but I, I mean, I th- it does a Todd Munkin does a, a Freddie Kitchens type. I mean, you got to look at the tree of, um, uh, of Doug Marone a little yeah. bit and where where some of those things could fall into place. You know, one thought I did have, and I haven't really brought this up a lot. The, I haven't brought this up a lot because I really don't know how to, um, uh, I guess quantify it. But in my view. The star of that coaching staff here in Jacksonville might be Keenan McCardell. Like, I feel like he gets a lot out of that group. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, feel, I feel like you've seen growth. Yeah. It's not the way the NFL works. I don't think you're going to see a guy like McCardell go into the offensive coordinator role here in it's Jacksonville.
2: Not, not so quickly, I
1: don't because think. Because it hasn't happened right yeah. uh, it comes with i mean you got to get the experience sooner or later No, he's for been sure. around the game a lot yeah i mean could that be could would, would in house what if that happened like would you be like hey let's let's go for a whirl. let's see what happens
2: yeah i mean i, I think if you're listen and and that's a that's a move that would obviously shake you know, shake the bow a little bit and make some waves it would be forward thinking for sure i just i've think, never heard of them talked about
1: that no, way by the way i i just feel like whether it's I'm not saying he's going to get that I don't even know if that's a smart thing to even say what I'm saying is I believe Keenan McCordell is Doing a good
2: job in Jacksonville. Yes, he he, he's doing a great job of getting the most I think out of his wide receivers. Right, I think we can both agree on that. There's a toughness that he used to play with sure. that he's been able to translate to that wide receiving group. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, Much no, like we talk with variable to the no, whole well, team, without a doubt. But then I would just bring up the point where if Doug Marone is such an offensive-minded guy and, and an old, old offensive line coach, then why isn't the Jaguars offensive line a lot more tough and good? Eh, you know, so I don't know. I, I get like yes, the, the coach obviously has a direct reflection and a direct correlation to how the players play. But my question is, does does Keenan really bring that um, on, on a bigger level? You know, yeah. can, can he actually run an offense? And once again, he's still kind of new to the coaching game. I don't know. I mean, I'm not in those meetings. Brent yeah, he Grant. isn't, I'm, he I'm isn't not, man.
1: He's yeah. been the college game. He's been he's been NFL with the Redskins and the Jags. I mean, he. I, I don't know. Here's the thing: if I'm Doug Marone and everybody else in that organization, and I have to win right now. I'm not sure I'm trying that out. Sure, yeah, <laughs> You yeah. know what I, yeah. mean? I mean? That's a that's a big gamble to take and a big risk to take. Um, McCordell and his future though intrigues me. I don't know if it's talked about enough. I don't know if I see him as some guys are right lifer position coaches like Terry Rubisky. Yeah, right. I think I don't think he's ever coordinated. I think he's always been a position coach. Mm-hmm. And even this going back to you know he came he's a running back coach here in Jacksonville, which he hadn't done in like three decades. Mm-hmm. And obviously Leonard Fournette had a very nice. Year. That was a good move, by the way. We don't talk about good moves bringing Rubisky and for Fournette off the field and on the field. Paid dividends. Of course. You know, probably yeah. not talked about enough, but part of the good year Fournette had, I think it must be attributed to uh, to Rubisky in some way, shape, or form. But I do I do think uh Keenan McCardell's future is an interesting one to me. I don't know where it goes. I just think he's pretty darn good at his job. (laughs) I do. And I don't think, again, we don't talk position coaches very much, but uh, maybe he should uh, garner more conversation. We're going to talk uh, Todd Wash in just a moment. But we did have some responses coming in on this topic. Jackson DeVillan says, uh, Moore, what does it mean for Foles since they brought Flip in ahead of landing Foles in free agency? Uh, This was a question about what does it mean for Gardner Minshew. well, the the bottom line for uh for Nick Foles is you cannot talk me out of the fact that he's on the roster in twenty twenty and battling for this job. Even though I think the favorite right now is Gardner Minshew. I I understand everybody would like to see the contract look better and you can't sit an eighteen million dollar quarterback and all that stuff. I don't know how strong you feel about it, but I feel
2: strongly that Nick Foles will be on this roster in two thousand and twenty. Um I don't feel as strongly as you, because the money is one thing, but his resume and what he's brought in the past speaks volumes more than actually the money's concerned. And what I mean by that is this. If he was to go through a training camp battle and lose to Gardner Minshew, do you really expect Nick Foles, after all he's accomplished, of all he, what he's wanted to accomplish in Jackson when he came here, to just ride the pine and go quietly into the night? Absolutely not. What's he and- going to do? Well, I mean I have no idea about a temper tantrum. Uh, maybe. Hey, I mean, listen Brent, we've seen temper tantrums that happens in locker rooms before when temper tantrums get thrown and teams get divided a little bit. I'm just like
1: that guy, man.
2: I'm just saying, man, I I think anybody in that situation who was paid that much money to come in and try to, you know, salvage a franchise, you get the opportunity, you get hurt, you get replaced by the rookie quarterback, you come back in, you don't play as well, you get benched, and then it's just sayonara. Who we're going to see in the bench the rest of your career. I just have a hard time thinking that Nick Foles is going to be cool with that just to ride pine, hold the clipboard after all he's been through. Well, listen, uh, again, it's Nick Foles'
1: job at $88 million in a contract and $20 million a year and 31 years old when he goes into next season to look way better than the rookie sixth-round pick or second-year right. sixth-round pick. And if he does that, well, then maybe he puts other thoughts in people's minds because he looks so much better than Gardner Minshew. That's his job to do. But I... I'm just talking from a football standpoint. Nick Foles is arguably one of the best backup quarterbacks to ever play the game. <laughs> Correct? <laughs> right. Yeah, the guy won a Super Bowl. Yeah, so yeah, you can't deny that. I'm, I don't think they can do anything with the contract. I don't think there will be any takers. And I think from a football standpoint, in a year I want to win and I don't even know who the best quarterback is, I'm keeping one of the best quarterbacks in a backup role to ever do it. Well, let's and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking and I'm, I'm not saving face with the
2: $18 million riding the pine. I'll, I'll have to deal with it. you yeah. got to eat it. Yeah. I'm just saying, though, so let's say Garner mentioned Nick Foles go to training camp. They they battle it out. And let's say maybe Nick Foles does a little better, but it's pretty close, right? Like, I mean, people can make arguments for both sides. Well, obviously the Jaguars go with the younger guy, right, because there's more problems. And the mobile guy. And then the mobile guy, so every NFL team does. So then you sit Nick Foles. I'm just saying I have a hard time imagining Nick Foles, and listen, any quarterback that gets sat or that loses a uh, you know a training camp battle is not going to be happy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. obviously there's aspirations to start, and if you're the backup, you're not you be pretty pissed off about it. Let's be frank here. But at the same time, I'm just saying from what he was brought here, uh, what he was asked to do, and then to go to a backup role, I just don't see it meshing. I don't see it gelling well. Um, even with the personality that comes across as a guy who's the ultimate team kind of guy, the guy that's very humble and just kind of soft-spoken, I still see him being pretty upset about it. And I think if that's the case, you could cause some riffs in the locker room, and it could be bad for the
1: culture. I've talked to some people near, close to that room. This year in the second half of the year And they said Foles was tremendous Like better than you even think he would be In the role Now, And he was disappointed and all that stuff mm-hmm. So they said he was unbelievable in that room So take that for what it's worth sure. Alright, football gaming, uh, Duval. It doesn't seem like Maroon was ever interested in bringing Foles in I disagree with this totally because I think if you're Doug Marone and you knew you had to win football games, you're going to get a guy with experience. You're going to get the best free agent on the market. You were bringing him in. You say, yeah, he didn't know he had shoe at the time. So yeah, I mean, what, was, no the what was the Did other plan? the other plan? Was Haskins? draft Haskins or go get a? a I mean, maybe a heel or something like that. He wanted. So, but, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah, I do think I think Foles, uh, excuse me, Marone was all in on Foles. Sure. Now it's debatable whether he wanted to go back to Foles, but you know what? That's on Doug. If Doug went back to Foles and he didn't want to go back, that's, that's on him. It's his football team. Yeah. So if you wanted to do that and you thought there was too much pressure from above with Coughlin, you know, that's the time where you yell down the hall and say, stay in your office because I'm doing it this way. My job's on the line. This is what I feel strong about. I think Doug Marone made that move to go back to Foles because he thought it gave him the best chance. I really do, especially coming off uh, Minshew's performance in Oakland, uh, in London. Uh, did somebody think the offense was good enough to keep the OC regardless, that Daniel 50 says. Uh, not necessarily, but I thought there were enough glimpses. I mean, do you give some credit to the offensive coordinator for, for Gardner Minshew? I think so. This offense was made for Nick Foles. Minshew had to adapt to it. He gets a ton of the credit, but I think uh, DiFilippo should get some of that credit. And I also think, again, the continuity is important. Uh, whether you liked what they did offensively or not, and again, they faulted in a lot of areas in terms of scoring points in the red zone, but continuity is important. It just depends how you feel about continuity. And lastly, Craig Ross says, when did you ever say during a game, man, that was a great design play? And Craig, this is where I disagree with you, because i got to be honest with myself here. And I thought there were several times, in fact, I might have even tweeted, that might be one of the best design plays I've seen in Jacksonville. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't every game, it wasn't every series. But I do think the first half of the year, what we
2: talked about near the top of the show, we saw some good things from DiFilippo. The the, the one that stands out to me the most, and I forgot what game it was, but it was the game that Minshew came in for Falls in the second half. Who was it? Was that the Chargers? or I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, what game that was, where Foles got benched in the second half. Yes, it was. Chargers, Chargers. yep. And it was like... Yeah, it looked like a whole different game. Plan. Well, well yeah, yeah, it was like a second... Yeah. I mean, I don't know the exact, you know, I mean, you know, it, was, it was a while ago, and I've it was, it was, watched a lot of football this season, but they were, they were in the red zone um, of the Chargers, and it was that motion play. Yeah, And it was... I believe it was D.D. Westbrook, yeah. And it was that jet motion. bam, bam, yeah. and then back again. It, it was It was... They called it a disco motion, I mean, I could just call it jet motion, but it was like a jet motion, and there was a movement in the backfield, there was some confusion, D.D. gets open, Minshew throws a touchdown, and yeah, it, it was all because of the movement of Minshew, number one, to roll out, and number two, it was the confusion in the backfield with D.D. Westbrook and that disco motion. To me, that was a play I was like, wow, I, I haven't really seen that before, yeah. especially in Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. I thought there were more times than that, too. Again, I, I feel like I might have tweeted that a few times, which yeah. I don't
2: remember tweeting very often yeah. in the last well, decade it's, 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 about their so much, man. You got you, you get so much ammo there, it's it's hard to remember everything that you tweet. That's why I don't tweet them. By
1: the way, I set a record in the last five days, tweeted uh, less than I ever have before. Um, by the way, Dan <laughs> also says. Did I tell you
4: that?
1: Uh, Dan, uh, no, but okay. it probably is true. Okay. Uh, Dan Sharman uh, says, Get over a gardener. He has proven very little so far and has a long way to go. He's good at playground on the fly football, but he's yet to prove the ability to carry out a professional game plan system. Let him earn the position of NFL QB. Well, you know what? Eventually, Dan, they're not going to just hand things over. Uh, they will uh, make him earn it. I mean, you still have, it, this isn't like anoint – you don't anoint Minshew. They wouldn't they're, they're you anoint top ten draft picks, and right. you live through it. Like Mitchell Trubisky, they're living through that again. Oh, yeah. They've decided they're living through it, and they're going to find it out. Yeah. You don't anoint six-round picks and Gardner Minshew. But in your mind, in the offices, in the background, in your planning, you say, this is our guy. This is what I wholeheartedly believe that they're doing that in Jacksonville.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. so we'll have to still prove something, is my point. No, he, he's he's st- yeah, he still has to earn it. Right, nothing's ever given. But in my standpoint, he did earn it last. I mean, this past season, I, I think he earned the right to be the starter this year. He's a young guy. It was his first year in the NFL. He led the Jaguars to what six games? To, we're six, wins? six games? Yeah. yeah, six wins. All six um, of them. His, his numbers were very comparable to the first round picks, if not better. So better. So I, I don't know how you could sit here and say, "Well, you can't anoint him." Well, if he was a first rounder, you would anoint him. So guess what? Take the first round tags out of this because we're going into a new season 2020. It'll be a new season, and if we're going on by just you know numbers a set a set aside, I'm anointing him. There it is, Todd Wash. Should he still be
1: in Jacksonville? That's next on ESPN 690.
5: It was good. I mean, obviously we put them putting a, a lot of work in since OTAs with a completely new system, new coaches, everything new. So um, to be in this position, do as well as we did in the regular season, and then come out and you know make a statement with this win when nobody thought that we would. Everybody you know was against us. You know all the all the ugly wins. I guess they weren't. They didn't look good enough for for everybody to think that we were going to come out here and handle business. So you know I'm proud of my boys.
1: That's Devontae Adams, Green Bay Packers, get it done. It was a good game. I really thought when Russell Wilson got the football back, they were going to go down and score. And then I thought, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers will come back and score. (laughs) It didn't happen that way. Um, Unfortunately, that would have been entertaining. And there's the spot at the end of the game. You know what? Here's the deal about the spot at the end of the game. It didn't bother me that much because I was pretty convinced on fourth down. I think they would have gone for it and Aaron Rodgers would have gotten it. They would have found a way to get it.
2: Yeah, and, and I thought the spot was justified because you can't always do. go by the, the the line. You know, I mean, like it looked like an awful spot at first. Yeah, I just it, it doesn't bother me Whoa. at all. And once again, like if you're if you're the Seattle Seahawks, well, you stop Adams on third down, that play doesn't happen, and then you stop Jimmy Graham on that play, and it shouldn't happen. So I mean, they had plenty of chances, plenty of opportunities to get the ball back to go down and score for the Seattle Seahawks, but they didn't capitalize on defense.
1: Yeah, but I think we will get to a point where we put a chip inside that football. And yeah. so we'll be able to measure I that. I like that. Down. Could kind of like Top Golf a little bit. Like, a little, like get but the... the problem with see they do that at Top Golf. So we welcome in Action News Jacks John Bachman back in the studio. You know they do it at Top Golf, but you also lose distance. Yeah. On those kind of golf balls. Now they, again, I don't know if they could put them in a Pro V1, say. Sure. Uh, you know, nobody's done that yet on the tour. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if we get to that stage. But I think there's a reason why the ball doesn't travel as far, and I think it has to do something with the chip at Topgolf. I'm not convinced of that, but I, I think that's the reasoning. So how much would it impact the football? That um, well, was okay when Tom Brady was deflating them. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, get him. Uh, but I, I wonder. I, I just think someday we're getting to a point where there's technology. I mean, shoot, they're putting chips in shoulder pads and then
2: people oh, now. of course I mean man. It'll, <laughs> why not a football? it out of football'll get there Put eventually. don't the worry skin. about it they're gonna have like the velocity and all that stuff for sure
1: because man. it really is the one part of sport. You know, people talk about the strike zone hmm. you could you could actually argue that marking a first down or marking the ball on every play is about the most inexact science there is in sports yeah. because you'll see a guy walk you'll see a guy walk in all of a sudden he'll take like Oh, there's some it. gamesmanship, man.
2: Like, where a guy gets trust tackled and he. guy walks a straight line, first of all. Well, then you have, like, the players that, like, kind of go forward a little bit the next oh, couple yeah. yards, and then the guy's got to run back and spot it. Oh, yeah. It's not an exact science by any means, man. It's what a... game wasn't uh, that they put the, the, the center line? They caught it.
1: The center. Um... Tried to move the ball forward a half a yard recently. It's like a couple oh, weeks ago. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. And yeah. they no doubt did it on purpose. It might have been a college game. Yeah. And uh and they called it. They figured it out. I forget what game that was. Hey, John Bachman, what's happening, man?
0: Hey, fellas, it's good to see you, or hear you. I guess I don't see you right now. Welcome back, Brent.
1: Uh, thank you very much. No purple tie for you.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Started off right so hot. out of the gate. I know, man. Coming on I deserve out hot.
0: that. I deserve that. Yeah, the Vikes did what the Vikes do. One and done, baby. That's what we do.
1: Yeah, it was going to be hard, man. That's a tough road. Yeah, I mean, you got to give credit to, like, the Titans have been able to do it, right? They beat the Patriots in Foxborough, beat the Ravens in Baltimore. Uh, but there's something that tells me that this was even trickier for the Vikings. Uh, beat the Saints the way they beat them. And then to the go out west to San Francisco, and San Francisco might be the best team in the NFC mm-hmm. to have to beat. I, I think that was a long shot to begin with.
0: It, it was. I wasn't really expect. In fact, I wasn't expecting them to win. But it's just you you always you always hold out hope that maybe. I mean, you play the game for a reason, right? And. Uh it just didn't happen. So yeah, it Well, What it you'd is like what
1: to see is Cousins wasn't sharp, though. No, they weren't sharp. No, you know? and yeah. so that's. What but I would liked that's to see as a Vikings fan, or or it just says I'm not like a Cousins hater. Like I'd like to see him do well, and he got the monkey off his back. But then he goes back out and I didn't really think he played that well. It would have been well, nice to see him deliver
2: and play well even if they did lose. To be fair though, when San Francisco's only rushing four guys every single play and getting home and they yes, you know, they I have agree. their entire defense in the back then playing the you know the coverage and everything. Yeah. It, it's hard for any quarterback and to be the, successful.
0: And their studs were not fully healthy either. Thielen and Diggs were both yeah. fighting some stuff. So i yeah. I mean, listen, that's those are excuses. They 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 got beat by a much better team, let's just put it that way. But mm-hmm. I think that um, you can't necessarily blame Cousins entirely, although he did not play like he played the, the week before, for sure. John,
2: John, I'll say this, though, man. I and mean, If you want to look at a positive takeaway, I know it's hard to do kind of a few days after that game, <laughs> but... Um, I thought Minnesota did a fantastic job with Kittle, you know, they they, yes. they kind of manned him up with Lance, Kittle. Like, I think is it was Lance Kittle? No, no, it's not Lance, it uh, Greg Hendricks. Oh, um, oh, yo, no. yeah,
0: Kyle, Kyle Hendricks. Kyle, right? Yeah. Kyle yeah. Hendricks, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah.
2: So they lined him up on Kittle the whole time, man, and I thought for the most part he did a fantastic he's, job.
0: He's he's a stud. Stop Hendricks Kittle, is great. Yeah. And yeah. I said to all my uh friends ahead of time, I said if we can shut down uh Kittle, we we might yeah. have a chance and I was dead wrong in my analysis. <laughs>
1: It is so hard to win in the NFL. That's what I keep... um,
0: Yeah. I I,
1: I mean, uh, Minnesota had a good football team. They had a lot of things go right. They did a lot of good things. I thought they coached them well. Dalvin Cook was unbelievable. Kirk Cousins was good. They have Diggs. They have Thielen. They have Rudolph. I mean, that is as bad as good. I mean, could you ask for anything more offensively than that?
2: So you also had Herb Smith Jr. who was kind of Herb coming Smith on at Jr. the end as a rookie so, tight end. And
1: it's still hard to win, man. They still only scored 10 points against San
2: Francisco. Uh, so like I always say, Brent, you got to be able to run the ball and stop the run. But they can't. Yeah. You know,
0: well, they, can Dalvin did the not out. run that. they Dalvin Cook had like 10 yards rushing for the three quarters. I, I don't know what he ended up the game with, but he did not. Yeah. Run the ball. I,
1: I get what you're saying. I'm not yeah. saying they didn't in this game. I'm saying they did. Overall, for catch, sure. Right? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, uh, you just It's just hard.
0: Man. I think what hard. that game proved is just how good San Francisco really is. Not necessarily that the Vikings were, were not that good, but I will yeah. say that the Vikings haven't been in the Super Bowl since 1977, and
4: I'll
1: leave it at that. Yeah, So uh, <laughs> when I was born, by the way. Uh, um, yeah. the, uh You know, San Francisco is good, and they're tough and they're physical. But that doesn't always get you by because, you know what, the Ravens are a physical football team, and they just got demolished against the Titans. Uh, so physicality does matter. It's interesting. We talked to Tannehill. You know all Jimmy Garoppolo had to do was throw for 130 yards. It's not like he did much more. Right. He threw for 130 yards, and that was it in that football game. <clears throat> you
4: know
0: um, You know what it is, guys? It really is, and I think they talked about this on on many of the broadcasts, but it was the key third downs. That's yeah. the difference, you know. Uh, Garoppolo hit a bunch of third downs. Uh, Tannehill, I think, did as well. Um, it's it just, and the Chiefs did too. Let's be honest; those the teams that hit those key like third and tens, Packers did as well. Uh, that was the kind of the difference maker. And and I think uh, for the most part, the Vikings, especially, I can speak with authority because I watched that game more closely than the others. Laid an egg on third downs. They got, yeah. I think, they got like what was it, like six first downs the entire game. I mean, it, it might have even been less than that. It was, it was. Well, they one had them, under 100 yards for a while. It was horrible. So. It was horrible.
1: Um, Aaron Rodgers again. I think he was like eight to ten on third down yesterday. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, he was, was,
0: was a magician. Brilliant. It was yeah. crazy. And and, that's and, the difference.
1: Yeah, I actually thought Lamar Jackson. That's where he was good. He couldn't do anything on any other downs, but he was good on third downs for a little bit in that football game the other day. All right, John, what All you right. got? I know you got to go soon. What you got? Well,
0: uh, you guys remember seeing online the the video? Actually, last night we had it too. This the, the huge fire that we had on the south side yeah, of Bay yeah. Meadows, the 295, yeah, that, yeah. the apartment complex. Well, they had 110 firefighters battling that blaze yesterday morning, or early Sunday morning. Wow! And um, we're we're doing a little digging now on some of the companies behind that development. Uh, we found some interesting things on at least one of them. So we'll have that coming up. Um, there was a boat that capsized and sank in the bayfront of Saint Augustine. Did you see some of that? Uh, that happened uh, this afternoon, actually. I did see some of those There's tweets, some pictures yeah. uh, tweeted out, so uh, we've got the story on that. I believe there were three people on board. and, Of course, everybody's okay, which is the good news. But um, crazy story out of St. Augustine there, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, the latest on the Australia fires, um, uh, you know, all the, all those good things. So we, I got one
1: for you. Yeah. Uh, last night on uh, uh, 60 Minutes, right? Yes. They had the guy yes. And I, saw, I saw you tweeted about it, and yeah. I saw the tweet about Jacksonville and the flow. Like yes. 2050. Basically, the story was like in, by 2050, which is 30 years, yeah. everybody. Uh, some of these big cities, like he uh, said, Honolulu and Miami, and I think uh, I know, L.A., LA and Yeah, Jacksonville and Savannah would have like a one in a one hundred year kind of flood mm-hmm. on an annual basis. That's
0: what the expert was saying.
1: And, and so, uh, are we? I wanted to poke my head into the meeting today and call mm-hmm. in, and say like, "Hey, can we, I need more info on that? Should I buy property on the beach?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. We actually, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we are uh, doing more on that today. Um, we're looking at what the, you know, who this expert is and what exactly they did to to study this. And, you know, this is a highly, um, controversial issue. There are a lot of folks, um, right? it is very political, um, and there are a lot of people on both sides of that issue. So we're going to we're we're not going to get into the politics of it so much as just what was said, who said it and, and, you know, where we are and all of that. But St. Augustine has looked at this this issue very closely um, because they really uh, are are on the, the forefront of this because they have been flooding regularly. Um, and so they're they're dealing with some of this already. And now, you know, other cities are, are being mentioned.
1: Glad you're looking at that. I want to make sure I don't go. To, I want a, my retirement home, John, in in Amelia, uh, yeah. Sawgrass, or St. Augustine, or should I go to McClenny?
0: Yeah, right, right. I, I, uh, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> tune in at five o'clock on Action News, <laughs> Jacks, and maybe you'll have a better, uh, better view of that. All right, it's gonna I be a big show. you're is. not planning on retiring yeah. until it's 2050 or 2030, huh? 2050, 2050,
1: 2050, 2050, 30 2050 yeah, 30 years. 72. That sounds about right.
0: Okay. All right. That's good.
2: Yeah. That's I was, good. I wonder if Austin will still have his beard by then. Uh, man, I, I wonder if I'm going to see you in 30 years, man. Who knows? No, I'm just kidding, dude. You, you don't in it for the long haul here. I mean, I'm going wow. on this fasting diet just trying to hang around until then. <laughs> well, more than likely, I still have my beard now. Whether or not I still have my hair, I hope know story. Male pattern baldness is in my family, so I'm hoping <laughs> um, maybe I'll, I'll have to go to some extension or something like that, man. But hey. I'm going to cling on to these scraps as long as possible.
0: Brent, you are at the House of Food, and you're, you're fasting?
2: Yeah, I just started this. Uh, uh, I'm gonna do a 16 hours fast, eight hours of just nonstop eating. Someone's been listening to the Joe Rogan podcast a little too much, just like me. Wow, I don't know how try I feel it. about that. Well, I can do have it. Have you
1: I, ever
0: I, have you ever heard of just eating moderately and exercising regularly and just calling it good?
2: Not really, oh, John. Okay. I could, uh, I can give you a PowerPoint presentation tomorrow of why I think it's a good idea. A good idea to fast? Yeah, that's I do it every single day.
0: Uh, All right. I mean, I I definitely am aware of this uh, diet, but I I just, I I mean, I'm old-fashioned. Just, you know, if you burn more calories than you consume, you're going to lose weight.
1: Well, it's hard for me to consume too many calories in eight hours is the plan.
0: All right, all right, but you just said you're going to eat like crazy for those eight hours. Well, I was
1: kind of kidding. How much oh. can you really eat in eight hours?
0: Well, I could eat a lot if you if I, if if weight were not an issue, I could tear it up in eight hours.
2: <laughs> John, this is actually all a, a ploy here to Brent to get in the best shape of his life, so when you guys race in the forty yard dash, he beats you. He, you know
0: what? He's got he's got some uh, he's got some work to do on that. Yeah, I'm uh, just I mean uh, I don't want to talk too much schmack, but
2: well, you you, you I, had no problem
0: doing that when he wasn't here. Well... Hey, <laughs> that's not true. I I, I I was respectful. I was respectful. I just I just answered it audio. with a factual answer. You said, could you beat Brent? I said, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. He, he, was probably, more, he definitely could beat me in the long runs. He runs
2: like a couple miles a day, sure few miles a day. But, Brent, you're, you're a baseball player, man. I'm talking sprinting here. 40 I'm probably going to beat him. He's old, man. I wow. Know, I, know, he's style, wow. Brent, I like your style, man. I like, I like the give trash talking.
1: A, give you a week on this fasting diet. A I'll week? Kick your butt. <laughs> All right, so you're
0: saying that next Monday we're doing it in the parking lot, a
2: 40-yard dash? Uh sure. Okay. Well, well, if it's good, no, gonna be a little No, I'm no, be mobile no. Mobile mobile. no I'm, I'm I'm the promoter <laughs> here. Remember, me, Marcela are the main event. You guys can be the undercard if you want, but it has to be after my fight. So give it about a month or so. Okay, a month. Well,
0: you name the time and place, I'll beat Brent. That's the bottom line.
2: <laughs> All right, are we running in
1: suits and dress shoes? <laughs> Gotta be.
0: Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's
1: <laughs> all right, uh, You're not going to make it on TV if you don't get out of there. So uh, i got to go. We'll see, yeah. you okay, see you tonight. CBS 47 thanks. Fox 35 until 7 o'clock. Uh, check us out on the sports side as well. Uh, Mike Bursh, Niki Hughes, John Bachman. Uh, we'll have it for you all tonight, 5 to 7. Every day, Action News Jack, CBS 47 and Fox 30. And then later tonight, 10 until 11.30 p.m. All right, the question out there. When uh, John D. Filippo, everybody's like, "Yeah, whatever about John D. Filippo." Todd Wash still have a job, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Will yeah. Todd Wash still be here in thirty years, I guess is what fans oh, want to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what do you, you know? Give me. Um, I, I understand why everybody wants Todd Wash out. Yeah, right. They they're mad at this defense. The game's over. Two hundred yards rushing. They're a little bit tired. I, I've never seen this from a fan base, but this is reality. Is they're tired of the scheme. They're, they're fatigued on the scheme. Correct, and, and the scheme has worked around the league. It, it has, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and some people tweak it here or there. But the bottom there's line is wrinkles. It, there's there's been success. San Francisco is the latest example, and I know you kind of there's there's it's not just that. But the bottom yeah. line is the scheme has been successful here in Jacksonville, uh, to record proportions in 17, and 18 still a top five defense, even though it didn't really feel like it. Yeah, and then last year, man, it was really bad. It, it was an eyesore at times, and the talent had gone away. On top of that. So I get it, and I'm not trying to defend it. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit surprised that that wasn't the first move. I thought that move might happen maybe with a couple weeks to go in the season yeah. when they were giving up all the rushing yards. So what does happen? Should Marone find a new scheme, find a new defensive coordinator? Is it a similar situation with Filippo where its continuity is probably best going into what could be their final year here at Jacksonville? How do you feel about
2: it? So regardless of whether Todd Wash stays or not, you have to adapt and you have to find a new scheme immediately. Because if you want to compare it to the San Francisco 49ers, listen, I, I broke down the wide yeah. nine already. But that was predicated, Brent, on two players. D Ford and Bosa coming out of college. Like They, they literally drafted a first-round guy, and then they went after a, uh, a free agent in Dee Ford. They bring them both to their team. And they look at that like, all right, they're good pass rushers, they have a lot of speed. Let's go ahead and change our whole philosophy around because we've got two defensive ends coming in. And that's what the 49ers did. Well, now you have guys like Yannick Ngakwe. You have a game changer like Josh Allen. To me, why wouldn't you change your philosophy around and cater to those guys? But instead, you have Yannick Ngakwe on the field at one point in the game, and then you have Josh Allen on the field at a different point in the game when you're in your base packages. So... I'm a fan of you know adapting obviously, and if Todd Wash is stuck in his ways, if Miles Jack's going to be the Mike linebacker, if they're going to run that you know the standard defense that they've been running the past three or four years now, then no, I, I me personally, I wouldn't want to see Todd Wash come back because we've seen it. The teams are getting hip to the game now, Brent. You know, like every single year, you have to reinvent yourself not only on offense but also on defense, and teams have got hip to what the Jacksonville Jaguars bring to the table. Now I understand the linebacking core, right? I mean. Let's be honest here. A lot of linebackers towards the end of the season for the Jaguars probably wouldn't start in a lot of places in the NFL, okay? And that has a lot to do with it um, going forward. But at the same time, if that's the point, if the linebacking core is your weakness, then you have to build a defense that disguises that weakness, and you get other things going with it. And you know what? The Jacksonville Jaguars didn't do that. Todd Wash was kind of stuck in his ways. He wanted to do it his way, and you saw what happened. So either you learn to adapt, you take a look at in the mirror and say, "You know what, we can't do what we've been doing. We have to change something going forward." Or you get somebody in you know as a defensive coordinator who can adapt, who can change, because you've got a lot of special players on that defense but you're not using them to the best of their abilities.
1: Well, it, you know, linebackers is the key to this defense because it's it's not just your typical linebacker. You need an athletic linebacker uh, with this scheme. I mean, if, whether it's Deion Jones or Miles Jack and Telvin Smith when they were playing well, uh, whether it's what they have in San Francisco, what they with Bobby Wagner in Seattle, yeah. you know, you, you do need it. And, and so it's a key. And when they got ripped apart and gutted at the linebacker position, on top of that, I don't think Miles Jack was playing very well. All those things certainly didn't help. But Correct. I don't know if that's a good enough excuse. I guess the bottom line is this. Can you change? Like, are are you who you are? And what I say is Todd Walsh, not the Jags. Is Todd Wash? does he run this scheme and that's what he does? Or can he adapt and say, hey, we're going to switch to run a 3-4. Or we're going to do the, the wide nine. Or we're going to do whatever. We're yeah. going to mix it up. You know, whatever it might be, I'm asking you, can you keep the defensive coordinator and he change to adapt to these players or is that who he is and if if, if he's gonna that's who he is, you either gotta get rid of him or you're staying in the same similar scheme.
2: I'm gonna be honest, if you couldn't do it this past season with Josh Allen coming in and like I get it. We didn't know what Josh Allen was going to be, but you had his college numbers to go off of. You had the film. You knew the guy was going to be a freak in nature, at least athletically and physically. Now, you didn't know how it was going to translate to the pro game, but guess what? The guy who is in the running for defensive player rookie of the year, um, both sides would probably take that title. So if you knew you had a special guy like that coming in, then why wouldn't you adapt right away to try to benefit him? And you didn't. So I think if you can't adapt and change things this past season, well, then why, would, why the heck would you do it? Why would your ego allow you to do it this up-and-coming season?
1: Now, do you buy – I've heard this a couple times uh, from folks in, in the building. The fact that Ngakwe was out for a couple of weeks and, and holding out prevented them from trying to change things, do some things with him, <laughs> that hybrid nature, whatever yeah. it might have been. I'm not, yeah. not saying a, a clean change. They would have done that back in April. Absolutely. But just saying they didn't. Do, do you buy that? Do, no. Were they trying to do some stuff, and that prevented them? Because I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm a big buyer on that. I, I feel like whatever they were
2: trying to do, I mean, it couldn't have been that difficult conceptually, listen, could it? Listen, we're we're defensive players, okay. Uh, I'm not going to insult and say we're not the brightest crayons in the box, but we <laughs> but but we play off more of emotion. We we play off reaction as opposed to scheming and philosophies and all this stuff, kind of like the offensive does. Just look at the playbooks. The offensive playbook is. Four to five times as big as a defensive player's playbook. And there's a reason for that. So... If you want to use Yannick Ngakwe as a scapegoat, and as an excuse saying, well, he wasn't in camp, we had a defense all built around him, but he wasn't here, so we couldn't teach it to him. Oh, really? Then go ahead and photocopy those plays and send it to him. Yeah. You know, go, I'm, go. I'm not trying to put words in, Todd. No, I'm not saying sure. that's what I heard I'm just saying yeah.
1: there's, there's been some talk of that kind of thing in the yeah. building. So I'm, I just want to make it yeah. clear it's uh, not him saying that. No,
2: okay, exactly. But all you got to do is either send him a text message, send him a photocopy. Whatever people are doing, send him an email. But you can easily... Provay that information to him And even though he's not Getting the on the field reps He can still go through The terminology He can still go through Where he lines up And by the time he gets Back to training camp Gets back to the regular season He's ready to go Yeah, I think Simple I said this to you that. A
1: couple of weeks ago too I remember on the field In the scrimmage We had asked when Yannick was well, He's like, like oh, He'll be fine He's a smart guy He knows sure. everything He can almost teach the stuff To everybody in the room So that's why I don't really buy that That much uh, That's a lot of hindsight Changing things and, and that would have been A wrinkle here or there I agree with you. Uh, you know, you either got to go all in on it and change it. The other thing I think we've learned in this postseason is you do have to get tougher. Yeah. Tough, well, toughness, physicality wins. And, again, I'm not saying guys are soft. There's a difference there. But I'm just telling you, the M.O. of this team, this defense, is not like, oh, this is one tough as nails defense, man. This is the Chicago Bears. This is This is – no, that's not – it's fast playmaking defense yeah. with a lot of good athletes. And that's okay, but when do you throw tough in there? You got to get that identity. Uh, to be at least physical, because I'll tell you this, the other stuff might work in the regular season, but it's showcasing that you better be tough as nails in the postseason
2: if you want to win football. Well, it's that, and also it showcases in the playoffs as well your ability to adapt a little bit. Mike Vrabel did a great job to beat the Baltimore Ravens, really a Rubik's cube that no one's been able to figure out before Mike Vrabel figured it out. Well, that
1: speaks to the Patriots' way a little bit of getting players that have IQ, good football IQ so you can adapt week by week, if needed. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that kind of smarts on your defense, then it's harder to do that from a coaching perspective. That's not a strength of yours. So that might be something the Jaguars need to target. Free agency from a veteran standpoint, also the draft a little bit, get those high IQ guys. And again, it's like anytime you say, I it, feel like I just called the, the Jaguars defense, to a man, soft and dumb. Yeah, I'm not meaning to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm trying no, I, to prevent. I, I understand. But as yeah. a whole it might not be tough enough or smart enough yeah. as a whole to be able to do some of the things other teams are doing. Let's talk a little more in the NFL. Plus, we've got the College National Championship game to talk about as well. We're live from Jumping Jack's House of Food on ESPN 690.
5: Patrick, you talk about the fans and how important they were. There was one fan who's now going viral. He left when you guys were down 24 nothing because he said it was in the best interest of the team. What would you say to that fan?
4: Uh, watch
1: the next game at home. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer, Patrick Mahomes. Good answer. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Wow, that was fun. If you missed my PSA earlier in the show, that was don't gamble on the NFL. You can't win. But if you are going to gamble and make that mistake, you might want to gamble with the Kansas City Chiefs. Because they can, <laughs> they can come in uh, big time for you. Uh, that was certainly the case, of course. This past weekend. Brett Martin, Austin Lane, Ku's back in the studio. Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, thanks again to Stuart Weber, Marcel Robinson for uh, jumping in with these guys last week as family took a little getaway to Asheville, North Carolina and uh, had some fun up there. First time I'd ever been, so that was cool. Um, it was fun, you know, but can I, do I dare say that Asheville was a shade overrated?
5: Oh, wow.
2: Shade. Now, I'm not saying I didn't. Apologies to our No, We, had, we had a good time. It was good.
1: Here's the thing. We might have made it that way. Okay. Because my best friend from home, yep. his wife and his daughter, five years old, came down. So we all stayed in the house together. Mm-hmm. And so it, that was it. Was awesome. We had a great time. Sure. Um, and we don't usually get to spend that much time together. So that was a lot of fun. But uh, we also had the kids with us. So I don't really think it's like the prime spot to bring... I mean, well, yeah, for their breweries, well, matter, yeah and places you, like that. So you aren't going to take
2: your kids to the, the craft breweries. Well, uh, I mean, we could did, like you did some of that, yeah. but
1: you didn't like sit there all night and go bar hopping and that for kind sure. of stuff with it. Yeah. So a little bit was our was our fault in that sense. Yep. Um. So I get it, but I, you know what? I thought it was more like I thought it was a little bit more like um, kind of like a village type of feel, like a a small town. It's yeah. not really like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of feels. Like a normal downtown, uh, good architecture, and, yeah. again, very different. It's, you're not going to find chain places there. I mean, you're getting all these kind of homemade places, craft yep. breweries, and all the different beer in the world you want. Uh, I will say this, Sierra Nevada on the way out of town brewery, yes. that was a cool place. Cool. And I actually saw more kids at that place than I saw in Asheville for four days. <laughs> because they had, like, games and of stuff, course, and you man, could even watch yeah. it. So that was really cool. Very family-friendly. There was a lot of good stuff.
2: Well, uh, <laughs> they're on a... Uh, Hipsters
1: there? Oh, yeah. It's, a, oh, it's yeah. an
2: eclectic group. I would have fit
1: right in. Huh? So, right. like, think about, it's kind of like, uh, the best way to say this, see, I grew up in, in East Providence, Rhode sure. Island. Well, near Brown University, there's also a place, uh, RISD, an uh, art school, okay. and there's a place called Thayer Street. And so, yeah, it's kind of like, it's eclectic.
2: Yeah. Right? That's I, a nice way I to think, put it. I think
1: Key West has a little bit of that eclectic kind of feel to it.
2: Okay. Does San Francisco have a little bit of that? You been? Uh, I've never been to San Francisco. I mean, I I mean have, obviously, so like Seattle, like Seattle stands out yeah. to me. I so mean it was, it's like yeah. that. Yeah, it's like that. Cool. But I mean,
1: I, that's fine. Whatever. That Austin, cool. Texas. Oh no, I mean,
2: yeah. that's great. I think it makes for the best conversations and meeting the, the kind of some cool people. So yeah, oh, I agree. So anyway, it was a good time. But uh, cool. But I, I, I,
1: will. If I'm being honest, for me, mm-hmm. like I really wanted to go. Like I was looking forward, and I was like, okay, if I'm being honest with myself, it was a great trip. Yeah. And kind of a good chill out time but it might have been a shade overrated.
2: Did you do a little hiking or not? No.
1: Okay. See, well, that's the thing, man. People hike. Yeah. People go to the Biltmore. People yeah. go hop around the Bruce. We didn't do it right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, it's, it's, we didn't do it like most people do it, but I'll also say, I'm just saying like kind of the the town, the downtown, everything yeah. else, I thought was just a, a little bit. Now, the other part of this, too, is that we, the prime time to go was um, it'll be a great spot in the summer. Sure. I think one of the cool things about that area is it's a great spot any time of year. Mm-hmm. Winter, it's warm there right now, so we didn't get as much. Uh, there's not a lot of, as much snow. In yeah. fact, the, we wanted to go skiing, but we yeah. ended up going snow tubing for like an hour or so. That's cool. But they, it's all made snow. They have no snow on the ground. Okay. So it's been warm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the fall is a huge time.
2: Of course, of the foliage, man, leaves changing color. Oh yeah, man, absolutely. So anyway,
1: don't get it wrong. We had a great time. It's okay. a beautiful place. You should go, but. Maybe you shouldn't do it the way we did
2: it. <laughs> Don't have kids. They're, they're, that's basically what you're saying, Brent. <laughs> my,
1: my best friend from home said that about 50 times with his five-year-old. <laughs>
2: Why did I have kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: pretty funny. All right, Brent Martino, uh, awesome laying back here, Jumping Jacks, House of Food. They're going to sponsor our one-year party coming up on Friday. ESPN690.com, the place to go uh, to register to win tickets. You can also come see us. I have some tickets. Just gave some away, in fact. But uh, we can have give you a couple more tickets. We're also going to, uh, I should say this quietly here, uh, Renna's Pizza tomorrow at Jack's Beach. We'll give away some more tickets there. We'll be on the road the rest of the week. It's the plan, Um, so we'll update you. still working out final details, uh, potentially at Mr. Chubby's Wings, uh, and then Friday is the big party. So we'll keep you updated every single day, um, and you can come out, and I can hand you tickets if you come visit us. My suggestion, if you come here to Jumpin Jack's House of Food, have the burger. I just ordered it. Very good. Uh, you just had a wrap. I did. Pretty Fantastic, pretty yeah. So uh, we have that going for us. All right, let's start. See that? Here we yeah, go. Here comes the burger. Yeah, and by the way, see so you get
2: a you get a classification here at Jumpin' Jack's Out yep. Food. And I you was, are the Rookie, uh, rookie of the, of the, of the year. year. I was the spiciest pepper, so I think I got you beat there. No offense. Not bad, but yeah. this kind hand hand yeah, of goes hand-in-hand
1: with ESPN 6 Yeah, Rookie of the Year. Rookie of
2: the Year. Well, we're the only Rookie, but we're still the Rookie of the you Year. don't have to give details. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. My bad, man. Yeah, my bad.
1: Nobody <laughs> asks you if you yeah. go to the... How many people got elected well, to the Pro Bowl? Or that's a good else, point.
2: Right? Yeah, and, and this is a legit honor. It's not like Pepsi trying to put something out. Like, <laughs> this is a legit honor that we've been received, and, and we will gladly accept it.
1: All right, well, and so watch this. Look at this. I got the black and blue burger. Look at that yeah. thing right
2: there. Seriously, get it a little closer to my face and, and that, try to tempt me. In it. Wow.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to eat that thing. That is good looking. All right, let's talk the NFL playoffs yep. uh, if we can. And. I'm going to take it game by game, real mm, quick. Okay. We go back to Saturday. San Francisco, Minnesota. We already talked about it. I don't think there's much to talk about. San Francisco might be the best
2: team. Well, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, Quan Alexander and D. Ford are healthy again, and they remind you why they probably have the best defensive unit um, in the entire NFL and also the best defensive line in the All NFL. Like That's what's so great about their defense, Brent, is the fact that what did we say the problem with the Jaguars' defensive line this was this year? They couldn't generate pressure with four, right? Four. Yeah. They, they had to throw blitzes at it. When you threw Miles Jack or somebody in the blitz package, then you got home a little bit. But they, they had a hard time generating with yep. four. Well, San Francisco, State man, San Francisco—they can generate with four all day, and that does so much more things in the back end when you can do that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, you know, where
2: did the monster
1: guy come from? I mean, it's <laughs> good call.
2: He's been yeah. he's fantastic yeah.
1: for them. They're good up front. They're physical up front. And I do have this question about them: Will Jimmy G be able to deliver? Mm. Jimmy G has got more hype than any quarterback under 30 starts. I think in terms of he, he gets thrown in this conversation. We we're talking about like. A, Aaron Rodgers kind sure. of goes under the radar. Well, Jimmy G goes over the radar. You think well, so? I think so. Okay. I, I, th- I think Jimmy G, when he started, he had won his first, what, like seven starts? He did. And everyone was like, this guy doesn't lose. Oh, my God. Jeez, I mean, it was like. Seven starts. It was like, it was some in San Fran, and it was at the end of the year where nothing really mattered, even to, like, the Jags, he beat them. The Jags had clinched, like, in the first quarter, and and he looked good that day, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then he was with the Patriots the other times, and they had good football teams. By the way, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. I'm just saying, I think he gets praised for delivering less than just about any quarterback out there right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, as far as the praise is concerned, you know, I mean, I don't share that kind of, like, I mean, yeah, I get, like... There was a little bit of a hype on him. I remember the first year in San Francisco when, I guess, like all the Patriots guys were coming forward saying, oh, yeah, we, we've been watching him, man. That's, that's who he's always been. So, like, he had the hype then. But he has a system in which to succeed, and I get it, Brent. The, the Shanahan's whole, good. It was Shanahan's fantastic, and the whole term system quarterback, it's it's, it's an insult. you know. So I'm not going to say Jimmy G is a system type of guy. I'm not going to say he's a game manager. But with what he has, the tools at his disposal, the ability to run the ball, great offensive line, but of course you're going to be pretty successful in that offense.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, that is the case. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's San Francisco. Yeah. I, I think they're good. They're, this will be a great matchup coming up, uh, and let's just stay in the NFC. And obviously Sunday's match was yeah. Green Bay at home. Here's the thing: at home, January, I thought there was going to be more snow on the ground than I was, there was. super bummed. I, yeah. I was hearing ten inches. I was like so excited. Inches? Yeah,
2: oh, that was what it. A- what a buzzkill that was, what kind of right? What report was that? Is there anything more disappointing than tuning on the game and there's clear fields? I'm like, what? I, mean, I was told ten inches. Was that the same
1: report they had Marone fired like, it, on
2: that it, Saturday? It was funny though because then Peter King showed a picture uh, like 30 minutes after the game, and there was I guess it was snowing big time. So there was like two inches of snow on the field then, like 30 minutes after the game. After. So the game, maybe okay. it, was, it was the football gods looking out for the Green Bay Packers, or maybe looking out for the Seattle Seahawks a little bit. Whatever you want to say, but yeah, I was very disappointed. Uh, they were not playing in the frozen tundra of Lambeau.
1: All right. Uh, so no surprise though. Green Bay won at home in January in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and again, they've gone. A, they're a good, solid football team. I, I don't think they're the sexiest team out there. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They've got Hill. They got Aaron Jones. But again, people are learning about those kind of guys. Uh, yeah. um, did they say Adams? Did I say Adams? No, it's yeah, Adams. didn't Adams. Oh, oh, no, Adams.
2: Yeah. Demonte Adams. Yeah, DeMonte Adams. Uh, yep.
1: And. And they've got a good a defense that's better. It's a lot like the Chiefs, right? A the defense They're that's so much defense. better. Now the Green Bay defense is better than the Chiefs' defense, or at least it has been yeah. in yep. terms of this year. And, and by the way, Green Bay's offense isn't as prolific as Kansas City's. I'm interested in this game. We're not going to break it down yet because we we'll talk about it later on. No surprise coming off the week, and there's no way San Francisco. Just thump Green Bay like they did in the regular season. I can't see that
2: happening. Yeah, here's the thing though, Aaron Rodgers. I forgot what his record is on the West Coast, especially in California, but it is not good. And the Green Bay Packers overall, as a team, when they go to the West Coast, it's not good. Um, I don't see it being a blowout either. I think right now the point spread seven uh, for San Francisco. Is that what it is? Yeah, um, I wouldn't be. Su- I would be surprised if it's, it's closer than that. But once again. You can't sleep on San Francisco's defense, especially with a team like Green Bay, who doesn't really have that bona fide two receiver. They have Devontae Adams, and there's kind of everybody else. Well, if I'm San Francisco, I'm double-teaming Devontae Adams the whole time. I'm putting Richard Sherman and his safety on Devontae Adams and saying, all right, who is that three series going to beat us? Are you, you going to let Jimmy Graham try to beat us? Are you going to let Geronimo Allison try to beat us? Who's going to beat us? And I, I don't know if Green Bay really has that answer. That was the
1: big thing I saw that yesterday with that Seattle game. You know how good that secondary was at one time, right? Mm-hmm. The Legion of Boom? Yeah. They're really not good. I mean, that's where their weakness is. Their football team's weakness is really in their secondary. At least that's what I saw.
2: No, without a doubt. I think their strength is obviously in their defensive line. Clowney made some, you know, yeah, some I'm plays. know some got Bobby Wagner. Yeah, they Wagner as well. Clowney had some penalties, though, to go along with it. But, yeah, a, a, a team that always kind of relied on their secondary, now it's kind of like their the weakest point.
1: Okay, uh, so then we go to the other games. Baltimore oh, and Tennessee. Oh, we go, Brent. I mean, Derrick Henry yeah. is good for Derrick Henry. Yep. I have a hard time with this in my mind
2: because it's Tennessee. <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to ask. I know. And, and, and here we are again, Brent. We're, we're in Kuz, record this. We're in the AFC Championship game now, Brent. Okay? And I've been saying this since Ryan Tannehill came in, week whatever. Are you buying into the Tennessee Titans yet?
1: Well, yes. I bought in there in the Final Four.
2: Okay. You're buying um, in now. Good
1: have in the team. Not really. I'll pick. I'll pick Kansas City to blow them out this week. I will. Okay. I will. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just being honest I mean, with you.
2: That's that's not. You're not really going out of your way there. I mean, that that could be a legitimate right. thing. Well, but. I know, but anyway,
1: yeah. oh, most people. By the way, a lot of people. Well, I, I think people gave them a chance against the Patriots. Everybody knew what the Patriots had become. Not sure. everybody, some. Yeah. But still, there were a lot of people that thought they'd get thumped the last two weeks too.
2: Oh, and I was one of those people, especially against Baltimore.
1: And so they are playing really good football. It's not a mirage, you know. It's better. It, that was a great look at somehow sometimes how it's better to be the team that catches on late. Remember, I asked you a couple times about Baltimore. Have they hit peak too early? Yeah. They were cruising, man. They were scoring 50 points, unstoppable. Yep. Every possession. They looked like Kansas City in the last 3 quarters yesterday. Yeah. Right? And so you can peak early. Well, all of a sudden, Tennessee's rolling, kind of like the Jags did. Remember the Jags won like eight out of nine or something like that, that seventeen mm-hmm. year? And they became that hot team and got confidence and felt good about themselves. Kind yeah. of snuck by, survived in advance in that first round, and then looked really good, beating Pittsburgh, and then looked like they were a better team for three quarters against New England. I feel like Tennessee is that. And sometimes it's better to be that when you're talking about tournaments sure. or playoffs, postseason. Well, it proved to be the case because Tennessee's riding high right now. This is where I think it will be different. And again, we'll break down the game later. But I think Kansas City's kind of in that same boat. I think mm-hmm. both teams are peaking right now at the right time, which makes for a pretty good AFC Championship game, uh, most likely next week.
2: So, actually, I got to watch this game at a sports bar. We're talking about Baltimore and Tennessee. And it was for my friends. He's kind of having, like, he's not really a like going away party, but he's going to Australia for, like, four months to work with Google. He's not going to save um, Koalas or anything like that. He's going uh, for a different whole set of things. But. Needless to say, I was not being a very good friend and socializing with people because I, the whole time, was watching this football game, which ended up being, you know, kind of a Tennessee stomping. And obviously, when I'm watching the football game, I was wondering, well, how have they solved the Rubik's Cube, which is the Baltimore Ravens offense? Like, how has, how has Rabel finally kind of figured out, which nobody could really figure out, of how to stop Lamar Jackson, how to stop the Ravens? And I was intrigued. I actually watched the game again this morning to kind of go back and see what he did, and to me, it's an absolute masterclass of your ability to adapt as a defense. It's what I always preach. Because if you're going to, t- to say Bill Belichick, Brent, what is Bill Belichick doing? Really, like what does he do really well on defense? He takes away yeah. the best players, right? Well, if you're going to analyze the best players on the Ravens, you'd probably say, well, obviously Lamar Jackson's a game changer, and you'd say Mark Andrews probably, right? And obviously Mark Ingram too in the yeah. backfield. And he wasn't 100%. Yeah. wasn't 100%. But that's got nothing to do with it. Vrabel said, you know what? Instead of you know focusing on their best players, we're gonna focus on the field and where they, they can beat teams. And what have I always said about the Baltimore Ravens they beat you up the middle on three levels they beat you up the middle, whether it's in the run game up the middle, whether it's with their tight ends up the middle or whether it's with you know Marquise Brown doing that kind of like that post route up the middle. And Bravel came in and said, cool we're going to take away the entire middle of the field. So you guys cannot beat us here. I'm not going to game plan around Mark Andrews. I'm not really going to game plan around Lamar Jackson. Now that They did spy him a little bit, so that helped out. But the big thing for the Tennessee Titans was they got out of their usual formations, their usual schemes, and they just said, listen, if you guys are going to beat us, you have to beat us with your receivers on the outside. And you saw what happened. Lamar Jackson overthrew a couple guys. Now, some receivers dropped the balls as well. Yeah. But it was something that Lamar Jackson wasn't accustomed to seeing. And that was the genius of Rabel, where he threw something that the Baltimore Ravens had not seen that entire season. Yeah, I think that should scare Baltimore
1: and John Harbaugh a little bit going forward, because sure. Gus Bradley did the same thing to him last year in the playoffs, that they had not seen that, and they couldn't adjust to it and figure it out, meaning Lamar Jackson really couldn't, mm-hmm. and then the same goes here with Tennessee, and then you add in the pounding running game where nobody Whoa. can stop it right yeah. now, and that just built up the, this big cushion and lead. Uh, and getting out to a fourteen nothing lead, obviously that didn't evaporate that help. When you're up fourteen nothing in your Tennessee, that style of football, yeah. oof, so boy, does that help? Well, also, one thing about Lamar Jackson, I did he didn't play well. No, his numbers will indicate he had like 450 yards. It felt like 150. Sure, I mean, and again, he had I some think turnovers think as well for the. Uh, I, he has been phenomenal all year. He's been MVP, but it is interesting when they made him beat him on the outside. When yeah. they made him, he made some poor throws. Like, I do not even really think that was an outside throw as much on the Andrews, mm-hmm. but he overthrew. People like Andrews dropped it. Yeah, he did, but that was a bad throw, man. Yeah. That was a really bad throw, and that kind of helped set the temple for a really a it's off game, I would say, for Lamar Jackson.
2: Yeah, I, I just thought it interesting, you know, because usually teams on their defense, they they scheme on players, right? Like, when, when you go to the defensive meeting room, they'll put up the game records. we got to stop this guy, this guy, this guy. And what I think Brable did is we got to stop this middle of the field, and everything else, we'll just take care of it. It was an interesting game plan. It obviously worked, and then obviously having the QB spy, having a linebacker that was capable of spying Lamar Jackson... Helped out a lot as well Now, I I praise Mike Vrabel I also have to praise Derrick Henry as well Because Derrick Henry, once again, had a fantastic game And, you know, this was a a Ravens team that got a little cocky And and I'll be honest, I was cocky myself Saying they got Joe Collins, defensive line coach There's no way that Derrick Henry does anything, right? Like They're going to be locked and loaded to stop Derrick Henry Earl Thomas echoed those sentiments saying that the Patriots didn't want to tackle Derrick Henry. We're going to tackle Derrick Henry. Oh, very cool. Derrick Henry said, Earl Thomas, check this out. Stiff arm. Boom. Yeah. Stiff arm again. Boom. They're put on the Jags highlight reel. Exactly. So like, it was just, it, it was, it was a legit game by Derrick Henry. Obviously that guy is a, a man amongst boys right now. The way he's playing. And one wonders, man, like to me that that's always been there. But I think when they brought in Dion Lewis from the Patriots, who was a pretty storied running back in himself, man. I mean, he was, he was a pretty legit guy coming out of New England. From Albany Academy. How about that? There, I like that. Good, good pull right yeah. there. It makes me wonder if they had to focus a little bit too much on Dion Lewis just because they paid him the money to come in here, and Derrick Henry was kind of, you know, the, the 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 power back, where Dion Lewis was kind of the third down back. Well, the way Derrick Henry's playing now, man, you just keep him in the entire game. Yeah, you throw maybe three or four passes to him a game. That's not his thing, but it doesn't really matter. Just kind of throw some off-chain stuff at him, but Derrick Henry, man, is just an absolute bulldozer. Yeah, it's amazing to
1: see. You know, most teams rally around a
2: quarterback. They have
1: rallied around Derrick Henry and Mm -hmm. said, I don't care if Brent's playing quarterback. (laughs) They have said, just give it to 22. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. I mean, their team has responded to it, and it's almost like their team is like, yes, King Henry. Yeah. You know, like. You're unbelievable. And when you have that kind of respect, that kind of mojo this time of year, you've know you been on teams, whether it's high school, wherever, you kind of just feel like there's something special. And Mike Rabel's helped build that. I think Derrick Henry has helped create that. And they feel like they're a bit more invincible now as a team, almost because Henry almost is
2: invincible. Like you can't knock him down. And and do you know how demoralizing it is as a defense where you know what they're going to do? You you know they're going to run Derrick Henry. You you know it's going to be a lot of off-tackle to Derrick Henry. (laughs) And you plan for it the whole week you scheme it the whole week you see it in the game and you still can't stop it. That, the, the, that's the ultimate thing that can demoralize a defense, and you saw it, Brett. Yeah. You, you saw it in the third you said quarter. said the same thing
1: last week. Yeah. They like, demoralized them, and yeah. now they demoralized this and,
2: and these are two solid defenses that are getting demoralized, but but you saw it in the third quarter it was just like, oh, here goes Derrick Henry for another four or five yard gain, just lower your, your shoulder because guys just, for whatever reason, just can't bring him down.
1: Alright, one last thought in the NFL when we come back. We've got to take a break. Uh, we're live at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Come on out, say hello. We're here until 6 o'clock. I see some folks pulling in, coming in. Uh, here for for some dinner tonight, Jumping Jack's House of Food, three locations. San Jose is the one we're at here in Mandarin. Newest location downtown, West Adams Street. We were there last week, and of course out by the beach as well. But stop by tonight, say hello, maybe give you some tickets to our one-year anniversary party. Jumping Jack's House of Food, a sponsor of that coming up later this week on ESPN 690. When we come back, one final thought on the playoffs. That's Bill O'Brien. Did he make a huge gap in coaching And is this guy just never going to get it done completely? Also, the national championship game tonight. And what the heck was Marshawn Lynch talking about?
2: Oh, that's that's my balling right there, man. I loved
1: it.
5: Hey, everybody, how y'all doing? Before we get started, we want to introduce y'all. We got the NFL Russian leader. If anybody got a problem with that, come see me. We bout that. Big trust. Woo-woo. King Henry. In the flesh. (laughs) Woo-woo. It's all jokes. It
1: it's all jokes. That thing went, like, viral. That does nothing for me, that thing. Yeah. I even said that to Ty. I'm like, everybody's making He's like, Dad, did you see that? And I'm like, I guess. That must be a 14-year-old thing. Uh, well, a, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the whole, the, the whole big uh, trust introduction. The yeah. Because oh, Mark Ingram did it all year. Yeah, of course. With Lamar Jackson. And yeah. so they did it with Derrick Henry. Like, I get it. But it just yeah. like, it, it got a lot more traction. Than I thought it deserved is my point. I got Maybe you. Maybe I'm just old guy.
2: I, I, thought, I mean, you know, in the in the day of thirty second clips on Twitter and Instagram, like I mean, that's it is a soundbite. It's it's cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, there was another soundbite. We'll get to that in just a little bit, which <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out. Although I think the meaning was really good. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still trying to uh, interpret it all. Okay. Uh, that's coming up. Uh, that's that's
2: of- why I'm here, I think. I don't know what. Are you referring to Marshawn Lynch? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, I can't a wait. Balling and falling coming yeah. up in a moment. Dropping,
2: Dropping some knowledge.
1: Uh, listen, we've got to get to the national championship game in just a moment, too, but I want to finish uh, a thought on the NFL playoffs, and that's Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in Houston now, they're down on Bill O'Brien. They have been for a while. They wanted him out. They still want him out, I think. They just they don't feel like he can win the big one. Yeah. You know, and. It take you to like, let's say Tennessee a couple of years ago. Mike Mularkey, he didn't do anything really to deserve to get fired. He had one, had two winning seasons in a row, I think, yeah. and then they fired him. Brought Bull in and said, you know what? We think this guy can help get us there. Uh, I kind of liken it to it's a little bit different, probably, but you know when the Cubs were rebuilding years ago, I forget that guy's name. I always forget the, the guy who they uh, had in there. Roanick, maybe was. Uh, was their uh, manager, okay. and he was okay. Like he, you know, he was going through the building stages, and then when they thought they were just about ready to win, they said, "Hey, see you later, dude. We're going to get Tampa's Joe Madden. We think he can take us to the promised land." And you know what? They were right. He did. So, I think there is that. I, I think there is like, you do get to a point where a guy can bring you a certain way, and then you might need someone else. He's a good coach. He's done a good job, but he's just not getting us there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're feeling that in Houston now. I don't know how you felt about it, but the one play that's being debated—the fake punt—is another thing. Um,
2: but I, I think I man, actually love the fake punt, by see, the way. I didn't
1: like the fake punt as much. I, I will say, I'll be honest with you. I, okay. I thought that was a little bit. I don't like when teams show too much respect to the other team, mm, <laughs> and that yeah. was a little bit too much respect to say, "Man, if we don't change the momentum, here they come." I mean, they were up twenty-four to seven still. If, well, if you're
2: Houston, yeah. i was gonna say this, Daniel Sorensen. It made the play of all plays. Because if you break that down and watch what Houston was trying to do, yes, they put the personal protector in motion, so they kind of move him around a little bit, and that was the first tell, right? That's what Sorensen saw. Sorensen had the personal protector man-to-man, so wherever the personal protector went, Sorensen went. Fantastic. But usually, what they teach you on the punt return team is you don't let the personal protector release inside. Why? Because the fastest, uh, you know, thing to the ball is a straight line. What you want to do is have the personal protector release outside and have him kind of bubble off. That way, it takes a lot longer for that personal protector to get to the punt returner. So, in doing that, what teams, what players try to do is they'll cheat inside, right? So they'll try to draw the personal protector outside because that's where they want him to go. For whatever reason, whether it was film watching or just instincts, but Sorensen followed him directly to where he was, not really creating that outside bubble, and then Sorensen made the play one-on-one and made a great, great tackle. But I'm just saying from, from the standpoint of the Houston Texans, that play was there. Like, yeah, yeah. nine times out of ten... That play works. It's just that Daniel Sorensen was an absolute stud on that play and shut him down.
1: And then, actually, I think he forced the fumble on the next game. Exactly. Way so he had back-to-back yeah. plays. I yeah. was listening to that game in the car, which I, I think I tweeted out and I'm serious about. Yeah. It was like, it was like I was listening to a, a, a game at a funeral yeah. or in a library. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, it became like a rock concert. Like, <laughs> I get Homer broadcasts. Like, I understand it. As sure. But as a part of, you appreciate it and kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, those guys got sickening well, after a while. I will say in Kansas City. <laughs> well,
2: and, and listen, and, and, and if we're going to break down that, that that fake punt, well, then you also have to break down the fourth and one. You know, and then that's the thing. If if you're ballsy enough to go for that fake punt on, on your own side of the field, well, then where was that when it was fourth and one? This um, is where I On their side of the field. So you think they
1: should have gone for it?
2: the the fourth and one absolutely why not okay, so here it is it's twenty not? one,
1: one nothing at the time and in yeah. hindsight I understand what people are saying go for it a fourth and one you're kind of chewing them up anyway not a big problem
4: yeah
1: I get it mm-hmm. but I it's uh, like t- t- again we're having this conversation so I'll tell you like real time conversation okay. Ty's like hey yeah go for it go for it Ty's always go for it guy but yeah. he plays video games <laughs> but you should go go for it go for it go for it and I'm like actually I wouldn't and I'm usually in that category but this time I wouldn't okay. because in my opinion, you had all the momentum in the world. You make it a four score game by kicking an easy field goal, which they did, made it 24 0. And I thought this was the one time that I do defer and say, I don't want to make the play that flips the script here momentum wise. Hmm. So if it's fourth and one, it's 21 it, 0. Forget about the score part of it. To me, I was more concerned with what's the one play that's going to flip this game. You know, now again, we all have the benefit of hindsight now that we know that they went on this big rampage and scored 51 but yeah. you got to put yourself back in the moment moment houston's dominating the game mm-hmm. the, the people in kansas city are shell-shocked nobody's even they're all sitting on their hands nobody's sure. even clapping i mean it was like they were playing the game at church yeah. i mean you get nothing's going on so why give them a little bit of life in that instance if you don't get it and they're like oh bam there's the play that changes the game I didn't want to give that to him. I actually thought the field goal was the right move at the time to make it a four-score game, essentially. I know it could be a three-score game. Yeah. But it's essentially a four-score game, and you don't give him momentum at the time. So I agreed with that call on Bill O'Brien.
2: See, I, I just think it from this perspective, where you were going to go for it on that fourth and one. all right, And then they didn't get the ball snapped in time. You called the timeout. That's out. where the bad coaching came in. Well, yeah, And then you called the timeout, and then you bring the field goal team back on there. Yeah, I knew so, that. So they-, they couldn't make up their mind. Exactly. So you... Show that you had faith, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're like, ah, you know, let's kick the field goal. And listen, once again, yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. If you're up 24 to nothing against the Kansas City Chiefs, even though you're at third place, one would think that's probably more than enough of a buffer to probably get you to the AFC Championship game. Okay? So I see that standpoint. You would sign up for it. You would sign up for it in a heartbeat. But at the same time, if you're the Houston Texans and there's blood in the water, you have your your fist around their throat right now that's pretty graphic in the middle of uh this restaurant, but it is what it is um, but you know if if you see blood in the water, well then finish them man yeah you know like they' they're, they're right for the taking, then finish them and we're talking about one yard and if you're if you're Bill O'Brien and you don't have confidence in your you know supposedly high powered offense to get you one yard. Then what are you doing,
1: man? Yeah, well, here's the thing. I hated the excuse later. He's like, well, we didn't feel like we had the right call, a good call. Yeah. It's a fourth and one play, man. You've been chewing them up. Yeah. You can you Just let the Sean Watson have the football. Hey, That's your right one. call. Exactly. <laughs> just mean, pick one. And it's not like Kansas City's defense is this great defense here. Correct. Either. So,
2: and they have their best defensive lineman out in Christmas. That was Jones a too. weird
1: excuse to that. <laughs> yeah. I think the question is, Bill O'Brien might be good, but he's just not good enough. He's been good. He's been good. He's won AFC South championships. He's got him to the playoffs. They've been very inconsistent. In terms, they, they just haven't had that push, and now all of a sudden you see like the Jags one time, bam, AFC Championship game. Vrabel, bam, AFC Championship. Houston's the only one that hasn't been able to do that, make yeah. that kind of run, and they've arguably had more talent. They've had J.J. Watt all this time. They had Clowney all this time before this year. They have Watson. They have a premier quarterback, and they still can't get there. It might be a problem in Houston. It might be one of those weird deals where, hey, the resume looks good. We just don't think he's going to take us here. And they'll have to make that tough decision down the road.
2: What did we just talk about with Vrabel? Well, it it seems like guys love playing for Raybull, right? He's the guy giving hugs after the game, you know, saying, I knew we could do it, I believe in you guys. And it it seems like he gets the most out of his players. Not hampering Bill O'Brien, because I think he's a good coach as well. But it's plays like that. It's when you want to go for that fourth and one, and then you call a timeout and you have to kick a field goal. Those are the plays where the Texans players are on the plane on the way back thinking, like, Man, why why didn't he want us to go for that? though? Yeah, you know, like, and yeah. even even the fake punt, you can say it was the right call or wrong call. Okay, I think if you're a Texans player, you embrace that play yeah, call. Yeah. I, I think you like they the aggressiveness. Yeah, you do. But I'm just saying, if you're on the airplane back, and it's a, it's a lonely flight back, I can only imagine giving up a 24-point leave and, you know, basically letting your opponent drop a 50-burger on you, so there's not a lot to say. But you're definitely questioning that one call for sure from Bill O'Brien. Players
1: question, I believe, conservative calls more than they do aggressive calls. Correct. Whether they work or not. Exactly. Uh, but players will will because they're always confident they can get it. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. And it shows confidence in your football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's uh, that's it for the NFL for now. Although uh, I do want to say this: Watson is great as he's been. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson is great as he's been. You know, it's uh. Blake Bortles still got to the AFC Championship game and not those guys. <laughs>
2: that he has, Brent. Yes. I mean, I would argue that he had more around him on defense, but, yeah, that, 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 that sounds good. Blake Bortles has gone farther than both those guys. That's just my little dig. At, I, like it, I like it, man. I like it. Uh, I like
1: it. That's all I got. Hey, let's go a happy hour reward here. we got a lot to get to in the last 15 minutes.
5: The beautiful lady's parting. There's enough for everyone to win. We're gonna make this party the best thing at name. So this is my favorite place. nothing will right replace no Not anything goes. against us rolling, half face smiling. And so oh, I think that yeah. the
4: rhythm one
2: Grab a drink, get a shot, sip your starter. Hey, come
1: on out to Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, by the way, for happy hour on your way home. You can also uh, get a, an adult beverage. Uh, Domestic and local craft uh, selections as well. And, of course, a fantastic menu. We are here at the Mandarin location, three locations in Jacksonville by the beach. Uh, The newest one in downtown. We were there last week Uh, at West Adams Street. Go try that out for lunch if you work downtown. And uh, right here in Mandarin, San Jose Boulevard, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Come say hello to Howdy and everyone else. uh, Really good people uh, here at Jumpin' Jack's House of Food and a fantastic Menu as well Alright uh, let's go balling and falling I'm going to jump start it Hit Because it. mine's real simple yep. I thought it was a really cool moment yesterday Shaquille Griffin, Shaquem Griffin getting that sack that on Aaron awesome. You know what that is that has got to be one cool thing
2: that that's going to be a, in like the Gillette commercial going forward right tell yeah, me like that, they're, yeah. they're going to use that and that was a really cool moment
1: yeah you know, listen shakin griffins a cool story anyway we we had him on the show last year yeah. uh i mc that event that he had at Daly's place it's just a super young man and how cool is that in that moment at the time it was a huge play absolutely and just for for the brothers to have that moment, just to meet in the on back Aaron Rodgers. There's a great uh, shot that they have a Rodgers walking off the field yep. and they're doing a handshake. It. it was really neat. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was cool. That was balling for me.
2: Absolutely, Absolutely, man. Like I said, check check out the Gillette commercials coming out probably next month or so. Um, my balling actually same team Brent Sato Seahawks. I'm going balling Marshawn Lynch. And we kind of talked about this during the break a little bit, and I, I'm a huge Marshawn Lynch fan. I, I love how genuine he is. I just love how you know in a in a world where you're supposed to do things a certain way, he just kind of beats you know to the to the beat of his to the beat of his own drum basically, and this press conference um, you know speaks in volumes and unfortunately you obviously can't see it transpire all you can do is hear it but it's I found it so fascinating in his body language where when he's answering the first question that's asked of him you can tell he does not want to be there you can tell that he's super uncomfortable and it's super awkward for him like I mean it's really uncomfortable just to even watch and then all of a sudden he gets ready to leave. And he kind of, you can see like a light bulb go off in his head where it's like, you know what, this could be the last time I have this podium, I have this stage to say something, I might as well go out with a bang. And he comes back and then he speaks uh, to behalf of his his other teammates and other uh, NFL players in the league here. Check this out.
5: Look, I say like this, though, right? It's a vulnerable time for a lot of these young dudes, you feel me? They don't be taking care of their chicken, right? You feel me? So if they was me... Or if I had an opportunity to let these little uh, young sahabs know something, I say, take care of y'all money, African, because that don't last forever. Now, I done been on the other side of a retirement, and it's good when you get over there and you can do what you want to. So, I tell y'all right now while y'all in it, take care of y'all bread, so when y'all done, you go ahead and take care of yourself. So, while y'all at it right now, take care of y'all bodies, you know what I mean, don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? They'll take care of y'all mentals. Cause look, we ain't lasting that long. Um, you know, I had a couple of players that I played with that, you know, what I mean, they no longer here no more. They no longer. So I mean, you feel me? Start taking care of y'all mentals, y'all bodies and y'all chicken. So when y'all, you know, ready to walk away, you walk away and you be able to do what you want to do. But I appreciate it. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good day.
2: So the, the cool thing with that is you you not hear the first part of this interview but the first part he gives some generic you know answer to a question that he didn't want to be asked because yeah, remember he does not like talking to the he baby. does not like talking to the media and you can tell he didn't want to answer the question he did the most generic thing ever, and then the second part is where he's talking uh you know to to his former teammates and also just players around the league man and yeah take care of your chicken Brent you know what I'm saying no, i don't it's money, Brent, you know some people call it bread, some people call it chicken it's money, yeah it, take care of your money man it, it,
1: it, am am I like <laughs> Are people like laughing at me right now because I had no idea what that, that was a uh, phrase for money?
2: To be fair, I mean, I mean have you I don't ever
1: know, heard don't... that? Yeah. Oh, you have? Yes. Yeah. Take care of your chicken. Take care of your chicken. Is that like man. out of movies or something? Because I don't watch
2: many movies. Oh, um, in songs? Because I'm not too smart. I, to country I mean, like, listen, I've I have heard, I've heard money being be called a lot of things. You know, it, it's just it's just, it's just like bread. Take care of your bread. Take care of your chicken.
1: Chicken. I honestly had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> well, you can put two and two
2: together, man. Well, I, yeah. guess, well, I mean, I guess I could try, <laughs> yeah. but I was just yeah, like, take care of the chicken.
1: What? why isn't anybody, maybe that's a thing. I didn't even hear the media laughing or anything sure. about it.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, well, maybe he always says this. <laughs> the entire media is just like, yep, that makes sense. And Brent would have been like, wait, what? what, <laughs> what did say that say? again? I'm going <laughs> to ask the dumb question here, but what yeah. the
4: hell is chicken?
1: Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: would have been awesome.
1: Uh, chicken Scratch. Chicken scratch. I don't see that. Yeah. scratch.
2: Oh, Scratch. See? See? That's maybe where it comes from. I don't know. Brent, Mr. Urban Dictionary himself. <laughs> I like it. Chief Editor of Urban Dictionary, Brent Martineau.
1: He's going to... Uh, by the way, we're going to bring um, this conversation up again tomorrow because I want to... Uh, Say something, Calais Campbell, I guess, had comments about money and how young, kind of a similar, I don't know about similar message. I don't know if he brought up chicken, but he (laughs) has a message to young players as well. I think you'll be a perfect guy to talk to about this. So we'll do that tomorrow. uh, I look forward to that. Let's do
2: Fallen right now. What you got? Uh, Fallen, uh, real quick. Uh, Oh, Yeah. Brent, you think of like the Olympians, you know, like the, they're prime athletes, right? Like the, the, they need proper nutrition, they need proper sleep. I mean, it's you're a you're a high caliber athlete, and you need the best of the best. Well, this story has been happening. It seems like every single year at the Olympics, but this year, you know, it's taking place in Tokyo, 2020, and. Tokyo released some of the mock-ups of what the room is that the the athletes will be staying in, yep. and they're essentially sleeping on cardboard boxes. Um, they're, they're like a bunch of cardboard boxes that are put together, and then they put a mattress over it and then a blanket, and that's what the USA's you know prime athletes will be sleeping on this year for the Olympics.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Didn't even see that. Yep. Uh, good research all right here 's my following real quick. Did you see uh, we're going to go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, but the Houston Astros, yeah, this whole deal with the cheating and the using video to steal signals, man they are getting pounded by major league baseball uh, because of it, so uh, unbelievable one year suspension for Hinch and also the GM of the Astros. Apparently, more coming for the Red Sox and Alex Cora. Remember, he came from the Astros and may have done a similar thing for the Red Sox when they won it in 2018. But then the Houston Astros fire the GM and the coach on top of that. So these guys are out of the organization after the embarrassment of uh, cheating essentially and the MLB calls them out, yeah. uh, on top of that $5 million fine for Houston and they lose the first and second round draft picks the next two drafts yeah. that is a monster offense mm-hmm. major league baseball robin manford saying we ain't doing this mm-hmm. we're not going here yep. you're messing with the integrity of the sport they must have found some concrete evidence when they did this investigation, remember, it came out right after the World Series this past year. That's fallen. The Houston Astros, what a mess right now. And I have a lot of respect. I really have loved the, the Astros organization. This is not good. That's a bad sign. Obviously, I'm a Red Sox fan. That's bad if the Red Sox use this with Alex Cora, too. Uh, I think it will be an asterisk. You don't take away World Series trophies. They want it. I, I doubt we will do anything like that. But uh, now going forward, this is going to be very damaging to individuals and to potentially uh, both franchises. Okay, let's finish up the show with this. Yeah, The national championship tonight. How about did we not even really talk about it much? (laughs) But uh, we know what's been on the line. It's been two weeks of
2: conversation. Without a doubt.
1: So you got Clemson and LSU. This is fantastic, really. Mm -hmm. This is great theater. And I think most people say is going to win. They're in the Dome. They've been unstoppable.
2: They're at home, yeah, basically.
1: I'm telling you what, man. I'm going against the grain here. I actually think somehow Dabo and Lawrence are going to pull this off and win this football game tonight. I really don't think they have the horses LSU does, but there's just something about that combination. You know? Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, listen, the guy hasn't lost a game, the quarterback, Lawrence. And Dabo's been proven to be the last handful of years – arguably the best coach in the country. Yeah. And he knows how to win these kind of games. I like Clemson
2: tonight. So, yeah, and it's kind of we touched on this with Marcel a little bit on Friday. And listen, both teams have very high powered offenses. Both teams have fantastic quarterbacks. To me, I'm going for the X factor. And the X factor lies on Clemson. And the X factor being Trevor Lawrence and his ability to win ball games. Keep in mind, Brent, this guy has never lost since high school okay the guy doesn't know how to lose and i know what you're saying i mean everyone's time comes and maybe that's the case but to me just having that mindset of you don't know how to lose football games that's huge in my opinion and i think you have a guy just go back to his the, the, the last game that he played in where he you know you can say it was a cheap shot or not he gets late hit And then a couple plays later, the guy runs whatever, 70-something yards down the field with his feet. He shows another wrinkle of his game. And I think you just have a team right now with Clemson. They're well-coached. They've been on the biggest moment before. They've been the underdogs against Alabama. They came out and absolutely smacked them. Not that it's going to happen against LSU, but they're the underdogs again. They're in LSU's pretty much backyard. All the cards are stacked against them, and I just think, for whatever reason, Trevor Lawrence, Dabo Swino, they find a way to get it done. I can't believe you picked them, too. I know, man. Wow, that's yeah.
1: incredible. Yep. Uh, I think we're going to see a heck of a football game here tonight. I hope we don't get one of those. You know what happens? Sometimes you turn it over a couple times early, those yeah. special teams plays come about, and then it's blowout city. Yeah. I don't see a team rallying. The other team's too good. So if there's a couple of those kind of plays and someone jumps out 20 to nothing, I think that's it. Go to bed. I don't think they're coming back. I really yeah. don't. Now, yeah. I understand. Now, Clemson was down 16 nothing. I think it was, to Ohio State. They came back. 16 yep. nothing. I think to, I, I think that was a little bit different. It just felt different. And maybe 20 nothing somebody could come back. But I don't know. These two teams are too good, uh, in my opinion. We'll see what happens tonight. By the way, you can listen to the game right here on ESPN 690. We will carry the national championship game tonight. We'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow. I want to talk about who would you rather have as an NFL quarterback, if you had a choice. Burrow or Lawrence. So watch that game tonight. Do a little homework. Who would you rather have for your NFL football team, maybe even here in Jacksonville, uh, coming off this game? And and once those guys go pro, of course, Burrow will come out this year. Lawrence can't come out until next year. A couple other. We asked a question about Todd Walsh. Josh Power says, will he be here? Yes. Should he? With all kinds of great options available? No. Uh, We also had, uh, my gut is telling me he's sticking around, says Daniel but he doesn't want him to be sticking around in terms of Todd Wash. Jaguars make me sad, says should definitely go. The fact that there has been no news in this case is probably bad news. So we talked a lot about the Jaguars coordinators. If you're just catching up, John Filippo out mutually parting ways. Jaguars are looking for a new O.C. here in Jacksonville. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk all about it tomorrow. Again, you can listen right here on ESPN 690. We'll be at Renna's Pizza tomorrow in the Jacks Beach location, so come on out and say hi from 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. For Austin Lane, Stewart, Weber, who stopped by and Coos, I'm Brent Martineau. Have a good night, everybody.